This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round. Come and join them in Aberdeen's biggest and best beer garden. And even better, head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Retty or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Come on you Reds! It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 60 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week, as always, it's Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele, gents. How's it going? Fine, thank you. Come on, lads. No one wants to hear about how I'm doing. Everyone wants to hear about you two and your trip to Dingwall and the Mallard. Tell us all about it. Graham, how many pints of Marcus Heineken did you sink yesterday? Too many. How many pints of vitamin T did Gary sink? I... Zero. Zero, yeah. Yeah, zero. You managed to avoid. What is the craft beer selection like in the uh, in the Dingwall area? <laughs> so in Inverness, uh, the first bar we went to had a cracking selection, which consisted of Old Peculiar or Old Peculiar, um, which I don't even think really sit in the craft section. They're just ales. And after that, it gets a bit hazy, actually. A bit hazy, Jane. No, easy chain. I'm trying to think what we've had in apps and thing. Well, I can't even remember now. The rums were flowing. Yeah, Who knows? yeah, yeah. It all got a bit hazy by the time I got to the Mallard. To be quite, to be quite honest with you. All I will say is the bits before and after the hours of three and five were good fun, including the including the half nine train. The half nine train was a bit brutal. Not going to lie. Yes, not quite as tedious as watching a Ross County Aberdeen game, but it wasn't particularly exciting. 20 minutes in there and on the way home is really going to just take the edge off of things, it's fair to say. <laughs> yes, I enjoyed that. No, wait. What's the opposite of that? Anyway, in a week that saw Jack Ross and Scott Parker emptied from their roles at Dundee United and Bournemouth, respectively, let's just take a minute to think of the suppliers of top-of-the-range manager cardigans at this moment in time. You say that, there's two guys with big bags of cash now. True, but nowhere to wear them. Eh... Yeah, maybe not, but then, no. Comfort shopping. Will we ever see the blazer and short combo again for a manager unveiling? What do you think? I'm disappointed we didn't see it on the dugout. It's fair. It's fair. They also saw Mark McGee still insist that he did a great job in that 9-0 defeat at Celtic Park. I've heard all the chat about how he thought he did well, but I've never heard him like elaborate on it to the point of it would have been 15-0. If it weren't for my my tactical acumen, sensational stuff. This is the thing as well. I, I brought it up during the week, but I think that people forget this. And, and conveniently, Mark seems to forget this as well. All he talks about is the fact that we were down to 10 men, but he conveniently forgets to mention that Celtic went down to 10 men before halftime in that game as well. We still played for, I think, 50 minutes or thereabouts with the score at 3-0 and still conceded another six. So, you know, Mark, and he's also had a right will go at the uh, team that day as well, saying that none of the players on that pitch deserve to play for Aberdeen. Which, I mean, 
to be fair, <coughs> fair number of them, but um, that doesn't really hold any water when you consider that Mark McGee had at that point had had three <coughs> windows to put a squad together. Uh, yes, and let's put it, let's put it bluntly. I have seen much, much, much worse Aberdeen sides in my time, and I've even seen much worse Aberdeen sides go to Parkhead and win. So that one straight in the bin, Mark. I think all you can say, all those players could rightfully say that the uh, the manager of Aberdeen had no place at Aberdeen at that time. Let's just <laughs> let's just leave it there. Absolutely, and that saw Kyogo showing he doesn't just save his dives for game time. That one was pretty fucking funny, wasn't it? Let's be honest. I did quite enjoy that. That's been on repeat a couple of times. Really hoping, really, really hoping that that would have been like a one-week, two-week injury at best to begin with, and he's out now for the rest of the season as a result of that. That's That would be top, absolutely. Anyway, it's another busy, busy week on the ABZ Football Podcast as we take a look back at our 1-1 draw with Ross County in Dingwall in the SPFL Premiership. We take a look back at all the news from AB24 this week along with our regular loan watch. We preview next Saturday's clash with Sevco 5088 Limited at Pataudry. And then after the break, it's part two of our conversation with a man who came through the Dons youth ranks, making his first team debut in February 2000 before rejoining the club in 2011, eventually making a total of 278 appearances in red, scoring 12 goals. It is Chris Clark. First, Ross County 1, Aberdeen 1, the SPFL Premiership, Victoria Park this Saturday, the 3rd of September 2022. Jim Goodwin naming the same starting 11 from our last outing on league duty, reversing the changes to the lineup from Annan on Tuesday evening. American Flake, number 99, still not in the squad. And I think there might be a little bit more to talk about that later, boys. What do you think? I'm sure there will be. All you need to know is the Tesco in West Hill was taking in the Ramirez money that day. Six changes for the hosts from their fixture with Celtic in the Premier Sports Cup in midweek. Laidlaw, Baldwin, Cancola, Callahan, Danda and Huwala all coming in for the Highlanders. In contrast to many recent weeks, the Dons had a fairly brisk start to the game, or at least that's how it felt to me. Um hard to tell really Hayes effort from 30 yards on the two minute mark having to be palmed beyond the post by Laidlaw the Dons really should have had the lead on eight minutes a counter-attack kick started by a fine through ball by Clarkson finding Bajowin and despite having Hayes and Miofsky available in the box the Dutchman took it upon himself and Laidlaw saved at his near post a square ball surely the right option here McCrory went close from a Clarkson corner but his header flashed over the bar and 20 minutes before the game entered a phase of uh, how would we call it, Graham? Stillness? Shite. There we go. With little actual quality on display. County with their first real chance of the game on 40 minutes, countering an Aberdeen corner. The ball eventually winding its way to White, but his effort was harmlessly wide of the post. Jaden Richardson. Happy birthday, Jaden. Uh, I think it's your birthday today as we're recording. <clears throat> there we go. Uh, he had an effort on 25, y- 25 yards. He had an effort from 25 yards, deflected wide as the game drifted to halftime goalless county with a couple of halftime subs Akio and Olagbe replacing Huula and Danda Malky Mackay's really trying to go the opposite direction here isn't he with those allegations that's all I'm going to say uh, the home side enjoying some early pressure without making much impact the Dons starting to get back into the game and on 57 minutes some good work by Coulson and Clarkson down the left saw Coulson advance deep into county territory and his cross found Miofsky whose initial touch forced him wide, leaving him little angle to get a shot off on target. Clarkson was booked for a tackle a couple of minutes later. We might come back on this one as well. 
given the mad racist in the home dugout's remarks on Sunday. Richardson found himself in acres of space on the right flank on 64 minutes before taking a leaf out of the Austin Samuel School of Crossing, opting to smash the ball across the goal and straight out of play on the other side without it touching the deck again. Oh, for some composure. Eh, Graham? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was a game that, with the odd moment, which we'll come to, composure is not a word I would use to describe that. Definitely not. Duke replaced Clarkson on 67 minutes before Shade and Morris joined the fray for Bajouin on 71. The introduction of Duke certainly had the desired impact. The Dons looking much more threatening going forwards as the game neared the 90-minute mark. It was Duke who got it, picking the ball up in his own half, feeding Kennedy, who'd come on for Colson a few minutes prior. His through ball found an on-rushing Hayes, who cut back. And the big man flicked the ball up to himself for hooking an acrobatic scissors kick into the top corner of the net. Cue scenes in the away end as the Dons looked to have won the three points. However, it wasn't to be. After seemingly snatching victory from the jaws of a stalemate, the Dons handed it straight back with the last kick of the game. A long throw from Baldwin causing chaos in the Dons' box. Roos eventually palming an effort from Puddington out, but the rebound fell kindly for County, and after a fresher swipe by Kennedy, Richardson losing his footing, the ball finally came to Akio, who squeezed home the equaliser. Full-time in the Highlands, 1-1 on the data. Possession stats, 57% to 43% in favour of the Dons. Shots, 11 shots apiece, apparently. Graham's looking at this quizzically. I had to go and I checked this now from four different sources today because I was like, that just can't be right. That doesn't tally with the game I watched. Everywhere has it. Five on target for Ross County. Uh, sorry, five on target for the Dons, two on target for Ross County. Expected goals, Ross County 1.26 to Aberdeen's 0.83, which again, I also find a little bit odd, but never mind. There we go. Um, <clears throat> gents, I guess initially, um, your thoughts on that one yesterday? Just points chucked away. What? You know, and it was a strange one. It's points chucked away as in you really should be beating Ross County. I don't mean like snobbery, but if you, so it goes back to my point every week, if you're wanting to finish there or thereabouts on the table, probably means you're going to be beating everyone else and maybe picking up the odd point against them. That'll keep you ticking over. So I feel like his points dropped, especially more so when you get ahead with so little time left in the game. That's what's more annoying. I think if the game had stayed nil-nil, I'd been disappointed. But I don't know, might have felt a little bit like a point gained because the game wasn't really going anywhere. But to have that wrapped up in the bag and then chuck it away in the manner we did is inexcusable. And unless this is going to be a really long season, that just has to be a blip. And we need to start cutting shit like that out because having got in front with sort of a moment of just really, really, I don't know what we call it. Improvisation. Improvisation, yeah. Or just creating something out of nothing. Brilliance. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, that game was... No one was ever scored. I genuinely can't believe... 11 shots. I don't know what the definition of that, if that just means someone kicked it hard, if they're counting <laughs> that as a shot on target now, because um, I don't know where they came from. But like jokes aside, a moment of, sort of brilliance, individual skill, and you're like, right, that's the kind of thing that you need yeah. to break a game like that. And having done it, you then just can't see it out. It's just really poor. I know some people might point to, well, you know, third on the table, and that's fine. That is correct, we are. But I can't help but feel... We need to start uh, seeing these these games out properly 
if we actually want to accomplish something over the course of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll just echo the the sentiments. I mean, I wasn't there. I was at home listening to the open mics sports sound, uh, hearing very, very little from Willie Miller and Dingwall, uh, indicating that there was not much to be talked about at all beyond the uh, Christian Ramirez saga, which I think they got about half an hour out of. Um, so yeah, when you get the, the moment and you Amateurs, see... Amateurs, so we'll get at least an hour out of that. Wait, wait till we get there. Oh, I mean, the speculation. Oh, these guys don't know anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, to get that little moment from, from Duke and it's in the in the dying embers of the game, got to imagine it just completely deflates the Ross County team and all you need to do is just keep your shape, uh, do your job defensively and to give away such a soft goal, a goal that we have so many opportunities to, to get the ball away from our goal. It's just, yeah, really... Really disappointing. If yeah, it feels like um, I think Graham said it's throw points thrown away. It just feels like a missed opportunity to, even at this early stage, create a little cushion over Hearts um, in third place. I was going to say, especially because the way the results went yesterday as well across the country. Um, well, I mean, we're back in uh, we're back in last season where yeah. results have gone it's deja vu, isn't it? Exactly our way, and we've managed to kind of basically yeah. fuck it up. I mean, it's I mean, yeah, I mean, back to back away wins. That would have been incredible. I think three clean sheets in a row would have been in the league. Would have been a huge statement. It would put us in a really good place um, going ahead into next week's game against Rangers. Uh, put real pressure on them. So yeah, uh, missed opportunity, certainly. Definitely. Let's break the game down a little bit more. Um, I think, Gav, you've seen like highlights or watched it back on Alba or whatever now. I have seen the highlights of it, yes. Okay, excellent. So we're not just you know doing the classic where none of us have actually watched the fucking game and we're going to try and pretend what we're talking about. Um, say, I'll, I'll maybe take a seat back on this one, but I wouldn't, rely, I wouldn't rely on us. <laughs> Maybe weren't quite aware, or perhaps not cognizant <laughs> of what was going on in the pitch. Uh, just our general surroundings, I should add. Where were you two boys in the celebration, by the way? Uh, we weren't that far away from it, actually, to be Which honest. Which one of you's hugging Duke? <laughs> <laughs> I think we did make it on the TV, it turns out. We've seen a screen grab of the pair of us who looked like we've been let out on day release. Um, <laughs> I mean... Graham, you look very, very cool in your shades. Um, Gary, you look like a beer is making its way back up. I'm I'm certainly contemplating life, I think, at this point. <laughs> it's just Gary's face every time there's pints involved. And my my decision making. Um let's break the game down a little bit then. I mean, I thought I thought it was a better start to the game from us actually, because it's one thing we've been pretty critical about the team for pretty much all season so far is how slow we've started games. I actually thought we came out of the traps a little bit quicker on Saturday. It still wasn't, you know full throttle but I felt that we started the game better than we have done recently even at Annan on Tuesday night we've not really talked about the Annan game but it's so far away now that I feel there's no real value in, in talking about that too much but we started that game slowly as well and all that does is set a tempo where it makes it easy for teams to sit in on you I mean it felt yesterday to me like Ross County treated that game like it was an away game at Pataudry they were very much happy to give Aberdeen the ball and just let, come, let us come on to them so at least I think that was a positive for me yesterday I felt we started the game in a better shape than we had done in recent weeks yeah, I would agree with that. It's, yeah, I suppose it doesn't really matter if you're home away or who you're playing. If you basically let the opposition sort of get into a rhythm and get a foothold in the game and start to suss you out, then you're just going to make life difficult. If you can sort of try and open up the game with some intensity and maybe make them wonder, oh, we've got the right tactics or what are we doing? They're not quite sure maybe where your, you know, where your creative players are playing, if they're interchanging things like that. It gives you a better chance, I think, of... Uh, of getting ahead early on in the game, and obviously, what well, I was about to say, once you're ahead in the game, it's something to hold on to. <laughs> um, maybe not if you're Aberdeen. So that that bit was more encouraging. 
I'll agree with you there. However, didn't really well. Obviously, it didn't deliver anything tangible because um, obviously you know we didn't score from it, and I never really felt like we were properly building up some momentum and sort of pinning them back. And it was just a case of when are we going to score? We started off a little bit better than usual, but wasn't really seeing where the breakthrough might come from. Yeah, from what I can gather, it did seem like we started the game in a, with a better tempo. And, um, you know, obviously I think the first significant thing I came across on Twitter was that helped us create a chance with a three-on-one situation where Vinny Bajewin makes the uh, a very wrong decision from what I can gather there. Um, yeah, disappointing that you can't start like that and make it count, you know, obviously being 1-0 up at that stage changes the game completely. Cliche alert, goals change games. But they do, and it's true. I mean, that, that comes only eight minutes into the game. It's a real good counter-attack. We build out of nowhere. It's a three-on-one situation, or it's, there's certainly an overload anyways, maybe not quite three-on-one, but we have an overload. And it's like, it's just that decision-making side of things. I mean, I guess Bajewin might look at it, you know, he got a couple of goals in midweek. He scored last week. Maybe his confidence levels up and he fancied taking it on. I guess sometimes you have to, players like Bajewin, I think, who are confidence players, you kind of almost have to go with that a little bit. But there was definitely better options for him in the centre of the part with Hayes and Miofsky that would have been much easier chances for them. So that was disappointing, I think, um, from that perspective. And I think, to be honest, we're going to see this a lot this season, though, that teams who want to give up territory and give up possession, I think people expect that with all the changes we've made and we've spent a healthy amount of money, I think, this year on on, on building, on, on bringing players in and building a new team. I think people have this expectation that we should just be able to blow teams away and sometimes it's not as easy as that. Like if teams do just sit in and make it very, very difficult to sit with effectively two banks of five, which, you know, can we kind of were yesterday. It was certainly kind of two banks of at least two banks of four and then um, two others who were kind of parading around the pitch as well at times. It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, you see it yourselves, you know, we, just when we play football at goals or something, you know, if you if you can get a team organized and kind of drilled and do the basics, Sometimes it's not easy to do this. Sometimes it's not easy to break down teams. And if you don't have a huge leap in quality, which at our budget levels, we don't really have that at this moment in time, it can lead to games like yesterday, I think, where it just we struggle a little bit. We, we saw it last season and we saw it again yesterday a little bit just for that little bit of quality, just to try and make the breakthrough. If, if the quality does eventually arrive, obviously late in the game, but I think we're going to see a lot of games like this this season. I think people are going to have to start getting a bit more patient about how the season's going to go. I think that's fair, but... Um... Maybe sort of a little bit last season where we tend to do a little bit better against the quote-unquote better teams. Uh-huh. And I, I think there's a balance, but a team pressing us maybe suits you a little bit better because they won't always press as a you know as a line or a unit. There will be gaps. And you would hope with likes of well, some of our, our players, that little bit of difference where they can take a touch or pick a pass and there's, there's space. But if you've basically just got a whole team lined up in front of you, just saying, well, we're not really going to hound you and put you under pressure, but we're all going to stick in our defensive formation. What are you going to do about it? It is quite difficult to deal with that. I mean, that's kind of the old, sometimes when a team goes down to 10, and that's the mentality they adopt. Mm-hmm. Don't actually get the rewards you think you're going to get for the extra man because they just give everything up in terms of trying to hound you out of possession. They're just like, okay, sit in it and try and break us down. I think it's fair enough, like personally with some of the players we've got, you know, I'm quite happy with the signings we've made so far. They look like they're improvements on what we had last year. And I think there's a lot to like there. I I thought we would have performed better offensively 
on Saturday, they'll yeah. be dead. So it, it's only one game, but maybe that is a fair point that there's um, not a reality check for the season by any way, but just we might just be grinding out games more than it's going to be a bit swashbuckling and we'll eventually wear a team down score and then go and get another couple. I mean, I think the, the, the key issue as well is sometimes that yesterday you saw it when you do finally break the lines where you do finally get yourselves into positions to where you suddenly have space i'm thinking about that richardson cross where we finally get a player down the line with an opportunity and he had loads of time as well to pick somebody out and there was decent numbers in the box it wasn't like he was looking up to find only one guy in there there was decent numbers in there for him just to smash the ball across the box is like that's such an opportunity wasted just that little bit of composure there can make all the difference and that's a key thing i think for us this season that when you're in key moments like that the decision making has to be right and yesterday, I don't think it was. Yeah, see Vinny Bajawan as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's already kind of, it's, it's bit us a few times, you know, you think back to Johnny Hayes against Celtic, which maybe isn't a decision-making thing, more of a quality or composure element. But yeah, the league's, the league's tight. There's, you know, we've, we have spent a considerable chunk of change on our squad this, this season, but um Definitely got no right to be going in and winning any football games. And um, yeah, in those moments, the players just, I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know if Jaden's maybe feeling some pressure. Maybe he already senses a bit of skepticism about him from the fans. And he's just maybe too keen or like, you know, too eager in that moment. Um, Because, yeah, I think a little bit more, maybe a deep breath and just a little bit more thought. He doesn't, yeah, smash it near enough. Mm -hmm. I I think it goes out for a throw in. It does. It's, it's, and, yeah. I, I, and I think it almost like doesn't even bounce. It's a sensationally bad cross. It's, it's very bad. Yeah, once again, that would make a completely different game if we score at that moment. Let's look at just... Um, we've kind of talked about it a lot in recent weeks, but, but, but I think because, again, it's, it's, it's an interesting piece for me, if, if no one else. Um, the average position maps for last week, again, I'll, I'll link this one in the tweets when we put the, the episode out. For the second week in a row, I think it looks a lot better. Um, it shows actually just how attacking our intent was yesterday as well, or how much we were trying to get on the front foot. I mean, we basically played with a, a predominantly almost a back three of uh, Scales and Stewart with Ramadani just sitting in front of them. Colton and Richardson are playing so high that on average, we're basically playing with seven players in the opposition half at, at any given time. It certainly shows you what we're what we're trying to do. And, and how we're trying on the front foot. It's just, um, like I say, it's just disappointing that in those key moments yesterday, we just didn't quite have that composure to make it click. Yeah, it wasn't a negative approach by any means, was it? No. We had, like well, like you say, we had enough of our players in their half, uh, but we just couldn't, well, up until the end, couldn't really find that moment, or where we did get that moment that like we just discussed, that final ball or the final pass was lacking and, the, and it goes... And you can kind of tolerate that if you're dominating a team and and you think, well, okay, that's okay. Richards is going to get through in a couple of minutes and he'll have another chance and he'll get it right this time. But when you're literally a handful of chances in the first half, if that, to put in a decent ball and you can't take it, it's quite uh, it's quite frustrating. So it's interesting to see, actually, that we were that far forward up the pitch. And I mean, that, that graphic's a little misleading because it looks like Kel Roos came off his line. But um, <laughs> at least the others were in the opposition half. <laughs> um, Dracula himself. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Gav's actually that, corpse that one. That's, uh, that, that tickled me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when when Jim Goodwin took over as manager, there were reservations about perhaps he'd be a more of a pragmatic type of manager, especially I think away from home. So to see those that position map and see yeah just how high up Richardson and and Coulson are, and that allows obviously Hayes and uh, Bajowin or their substitutes to get close to Miofsky to offer up support there, really overload in the attacking areas. Yeah, the, the intent is certainly there, and I do, I know we're frustrated right now, but I do think that it'll click. We've already seen it click in games, admittedly, when the opposition have been down to 10 men, but there is quality in this team. I do think that uh, we just keep at it. We'll see more and more of that uh, as the season goes on. Just going through the team a little bit more in terms of performances, I thought that <clears throat> I thought both Ross McCrory and Ramadani played well again yesterday. Um I think we're definitely starting to see those two gelling properly as a relationship. Now, we just touched on it there. When you look at that um, average position map, Ramadani absolutely clearly is the holding midfielder, very, very disciplined at doing it. And Graham, you and I talked a few times yesterday about this, that he was really, really good yesterday at helping mop up when Richardson especially had gone forwards. He was doing well in terms of keeping the ball being recycled very quickly, moving it along quickly. Um, number of times he kind of filled in at right back or in that area uh, to to just mop up when things had come up that flank. A really good performance from Ramadani yesterday, I felt. Yeah, he he covers the ground and he seems to be sort of tactically aware, mm-hmm. first, of, first and foremost, of his role. You know, when the team, you look at his sort of position, as you say, he's basically the holding midfielder, but he's playing that role. He's not sort of all over the shop. But more importantly, if someone does bottom on which is what we need in that team and is kind of the point um he was usually pretty good at realizing that and sort of knowing that someone's got to come back and cover which is encouraging because obviously if we're wanting to be more attacking then that does mean some people aren't going to have to drop back and fill in a position so all of that was good it's just um yeah it's just a bit unfortunate he wasn't on the winning team um yeah i like the the balance, the understanding the two of them have as far as Ramadani sits and McCrory bombs forward. I mean, at the end of the game, when we get the goal through Duke, uh, Ross McCrory is one of the players who's bursting a gut to get forward to offer up support. Ball, you know, easily could have landed to him. Uh, Ross McCrory, I think, started the season really well. I would say I think he could have done better with the header in the first half from the Leighton Clarkson corner. I know it's a difficult one, but Ross McCrory is a good header of the ball. Um, could have at least got it on target. But uh, that's maybe being a little bit hypercritical. Um, I like that McCrory's getting further up the pitch. He's definitely got a lot of ability, a lot of power to break the lines. And, you know, I think he's probably scored about four or five goals this year so far. Um, I'm hoping that I hope that we spread the goals through the team um, a lot more than we did last year. And I hope that Ross McCrory can be one that maybe even hits double figures. Yeah, he's on... Uh, how much is he on for this season? Let's have a look. One... On four, four so far this season. But yeah, I think that's starting to look good, actually, in fairness, that that partnership. And the longer they play together and the more often they play together, the more that will help. But I was I was pleased definitely with Ram Danny's performance yesterday as well. I thought he did what he needed to do really, really well. Another, in the midfield, a quiet day again for, for Jim Leighton-Clarkson. Um, game just kind of really seemed to pass by again. Let me uh, rephrase, another quiet day for Hatchet Man. Leighton Clarkson. Yes, uh-huh. yes, yes. The dirtiest player in Scotland. Um, 
a quiet afternoon. Difficult to really say anything about Leighton Clark's performance yesterday, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can't quite decide. You know, these guys, like obviously he's a good football player, so there's no doubt in that. And they probably look better when the opposition aren't as disciplined in their space. And he can, you know, because he played a few passes and it didn't really come to anything. But in a slightly less disciplined opposition, maybe that pass does find it. I would even uh-huh. play and everyone saying, oh, he's, you know, he's having a great game. He's he's picking passes. He maybe wasn't necessarily doing anything different to what he has been. It's just his teammates were finding it hard to, to find the space or, or, or make the run. So it's one of these days where you've seen enough of him to date to know that he's he's a good player. But it's almost like how long do you... He wasn't the only one that carries a bit strong because he wasn't the only one on that team that didn't quite deliver the way you'd want. Yeah. But I'm not too sure how long he can go performing at that before it's maybe time to mix it up. James Madison is a very easy comparison to make, um, obviously because of the circumstances which they're here, the type of player they are, the things they're maybe not so suited for and the things they are suited for. Like his corner, even then for McCrory, is a very good corner. Yeah, um, we know of the ability he has from dead balls. We know the ability he has to pick passes, um, but just not quite enough through a nineteen minutes. And if he doesn't do something decisive, then you're kind of like looking at it and thinking, "I'm yeah. not so sure." I think um, looking ahead to next Saturday, I think Jim Goodwin's got a big decision to make, and Leighton Clarkson would be the obvious candidate for me to drop out of the team if we wanted to make a change. He's got a huge call to make on this next week. We can come on to that later on, I think, when we preview the game next week yeah, in more detail later. But it is, it's one of these, it's like you look at that yesterday again, and you, especially because it's its a kind of unfortunate comparison, I guess. Duke's the guy that comes on for Clarkson, and Duke in his, what was in the park for 15 minutes? No, 20, 25 minutes, I think it was. It makes such a massive difference to the way we played, his kind of power, his running, and everything very different to what Clark they're they're clear they're, they're they're different players obviously and it, it involves you having to change up your system a little bit to to bring Duke on in, in place of Clarkson. Um but I do wonder if you look at games like that yesterday and we I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago whether in certain games you really need a guy like Lane Clarkson in your team and whether actually a game yesterday would have been better suited to Duke being on the pitch from the beginning for example with that running ability that ability to pull players all over the pitch further up the park do you really need an extra body in midfield in a game like that yesterday? I don't really feel that we did. I think Ramadani and McCrory were kind of controlling things in the centre of the park as it was. I don't want to say he was a passenger, but it just didn't really contribute enough for me. Whereas if you had another body up alongside Miofsky potentially yesterday, it I think it changes the dynamic and it gives Ross County something else to have to think about. Yeah, I think... Because I didn't feel Ross County were particularly adventurous either. Oh, no, they weren't. So, you know, it's not like you're maybe depending on what game you're going to, you know, the home team are going to take the game to you. Uh-huh. So, you maybe have to be mindful of that. I don't really feel you have to take that view when you go to play Ross County, which is not a, it's not big. It's just like we were saying earlier, their, their tactics seem to be just to concede the possession and, you know, just see what happens throughout the 90 minutes is how it felt. And we spoke about this last week in last week's preview. You know, if, if, if three idiots like us can find this out, and sit and go, this is what they're going to do. Like, it baffles me that top flight management are not looking at this and adapting their team a little bit to do it. But I guess the difficulty here is that he came off the bench against Annan during the week, scores a goal. 
he'd been in that team, maybe it's a case of I'll try to get him develop, like get him playing games. And the more he plays, then the more he's going to be used to playing in the kind of the, the, the system and all that kind of good stuff. I don't know. It's difficult because he does have as well as Gav has touched on. You suddenly have a, if you have a, a set piece, a dead ball within thirty yards of goal, the guy who you want to take that is you, you kind of want him on the pitch, don't you? Any opportunity. It would appear that certainly Duke has been identified or even maybe at this early stage pigeonholed as the impact sub. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, if we can pick out from wherever you source these, this information and we talk about it on Sunday night at while we're drinking beer, it stands to reason that the analytics at Aberdeen will be aware of how Ross County press or, in their case, don't press. Um, it's not as though they've got a midfield full of Ross Cattle hands trying to break your leg at any available opportunity. They're quite a passive team. So, uh, yeah, if you don't maybe want to use Duke, you know, there's there's Shaden Morris on the bench. There's Ryan Duncan, who's continues to impress. I think there's options there to try something different that perhaps the other team aren't even going to expect as well. And, yeah, I think you, we think we've still got quality players. I think you could still persist with the Bajouin in the number 10 role. I don't think that's something I'd completely write off, but you can still switch those three around mm-hmm. if it's like Hayes, Morris, and uh, Bajouin supporting Miofsky. Yeah, it, it, as, a, as a complete contradiction to what I said earlier, it does seem like a somewhat cautious approach or just like a, a sense that maybe we're like stuck to a first team now when yeah. maybe, yeah, there's, what's the term? Horses for courses? Yeah, exactly. I think sometimes we need to be a bit more, for me, I don't know, like this is that thing, people look at it go, oh, we shouldn't change our team because of who you're playing. I'm a bit like, I think sometimes if you look at a team you're playing against and you go, the best way for us to win this game is to mix it up a little bit and you potentially do something a little bit different. And I think that's sensible management rather than just doing the same thing every week. I accept that point if it's from a position of, you know, for lack of a better word, fear. Yeah. But if you're trying to advance your position by having a naturally more attacking player on the pitch. I don't see how that's a bad thing at all. I'm usually one for, I don't think we should be changing, but normally what I mean is around Gavin's point, we shouldn't be panicking because Team X is coming to Pataudry. Mm-hmm. We should have the confidence in what we're going to do. But you're right, not not all, not all the teams play the same way. So there are games where playing the way it worked, you know, you did the week before, just isn't going to give you the same benefits or is less likely to work you know if you're playing a team that's like Celtic for example that are just absolutely rampant at the moment do you want to pack your midfield a bit more than you might do for a home game against everything yeah of course you do that's just sensible you should probably change it for that but in most games I'd probably be we shouldn't be too worried about what the opposition is going to do but I do think there's a danger that we just get into this again it's, it's, it's really early but sort of under that McKenna's era where you could look at the team knowing he was fit. You just mm-hmm. knew what it would be. And you knew what it would be for 70, 80 minutes. And then you knew what the subs would be. Now, obviously, we're a long way from that. Mm. But, the is yeah, the danger is you just get into that. He's got his starting 11 and that's that. Um, and the whole point of having a squad and reasonably expensively assembled squad as well, I would say, is that you should be able to change up. You should have different options for different occasions. And maybe he's still trying to figure that out because I guess there's got to be a bit of learning on the job for everyone because as much as you can do the training, you don't really know what you're going to get from guys until you put them out 
on a Saturday. So maybe we're just going to have to ride this out for a while, but hopefully we can start to get a tune out of some different versions of the 11 because we're not really going to accomplish much if we're chucking away points like we did yesterday. I think the thing as well with this is that <clears throat> Derek McInnes seemed to have this ethos. I'm, I'm going to use McInnes because he's probably the classic example. Every week it was 4-2-3-1. And as you just said, you could pick the starting 11 if everyone was fit, you knew who it would be. And he would take this ethos, I think, about like, well, we're going to like impose ourselves on the opposition and it's kind of backing your team to be better than the other team in those positions. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But it also becomes really easy for the opposition team to read what you're going to do. And you saw it even with McInnes to an extent, you know, how quickly the teams after the first kind of couple of seasons latch on to the fact that the secret here is shut down McGinn and Hayes. And there's very little really that, that Aberdeen will have to hurt you. And if you don't shut them down, then you're, you're going to leave yourself open. And okay, he then kind of tried to figure out some alternative ways of playing and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't work. But my concern with where we are at the moment is that <clears throat> Ross County, to an extent, yes, they've shown how to nullify us in this 4-3-3. Livingston kind of did the same last week for the first 30 minutes, 35 minutes anyway. St. Mirren kind of did it at Pataudry for to a period of time. It, Motherwell did it very successfully against us. St. Johnston, even to an extent, did it as well. Like it becomes, I think certainly Scottish football, where there is a an emphasis still on, with a lot of teams about just defending first and not try to get beat. I think it becomes very easy to work out what Aberdeen are doing to set your stall out to stop that. And if you're not willing to do something a little bit different, it can become just very, very easy to read. And I do, I am a little bit concerned that we are in starting to venture into that area, which is why. Maybe next week's not the right time to do it. We can come on to that later on, but I'd like to see us maybe try and mix things up a little bit sometimes, especially in, in particular games where we need to be getting, we need to be picking up three points in these games if we want to finish top three, top four this season. And I would just like to see us maybe grabbing the bull by the horns a little bit more, I guess, rather than just doing the same old, same old. The bull by the cojones. Exactly. I think next week is the time to do it. I, I think it is the time to do it as well, actually, but there might be contrary views out there on that one. We'll come on to next week in a minute. Just going back through the team, Anthony Stewart, Liam Scales, I thought they did fine. They, did, they weren't really pushed too much yesterday at all by, by Ross County. Stewart's distribution, not great, it's fair to say. There was a couple of times with some aimless passes thrown at the park, and there was one pass he fizzed at, was it Richardson? I think you commented to me, Graham, it was like, that's an Alan Gray pass. Oh, I almost took his head off. Yeah nail it with that one but I thought they, they did fine they weren't really tested very much yesterday uh, Kelrus let's talk about Kelrus because we praised him last week out um, because we kind of started to feel that he was against St. Johnston I think it's Livingston he was starting to come for cross balls and starting to look like he was kind of commanding his area a little bit more and then Tuesday night at Annan the goal is not great that we concede um, it's, a, it's another goal conceded from a cross ball coming in that he didn't come for and maybe he should have done better with that one and then yesterday's equaliser, um, there had been a couple of warning signs prior to this. Uh, Ross County certainly were keen to chuck the ball in the box from throw-ins and uh, from corner kicks. Literally chuck it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that um, Jeff, who was with us yesterday, had a, a bee in his bonnet about <clears throat> the, uh, the the time that, that Kel would stand in his line. I don't know why, but every time you guys talk about a guy called Jeff, I just see Jeff from Peep Show. <laughs> I 
Will, will Jeff appreciate that reference? I'm not sure he will. Um, <laughs> hi, Jeff. Um, I mean, there was one time, I mean, to, to, to put this into context, there was one time that the ball fell what appeared to be on the 18-yard line and Jeff was going mad about why Roos hadn't come and claimed it. I do think that was a little bit harsh, but never mind. But could, for the equaliser yesterday, could or should Kel Roos do better, do you think? I mean, it's one of those situations where last minute in the game, they're chucking in a long throw. Do you kind of want your keeper just to take control of that situation and just come and claim it? He's a big lad, Kel Roos, we touched on this the other day. Um, would there be reckoning he's a bit Undertaker? Kayfabe height, I think. I think, we, I think we worked out about Goldust height. Yeah. Um, no, Kayfabe Undertaker, not like, not wrestling numbers. Anyway, um, do you kind of want to see your keeper come and just claim that? In watching the goal on the highlights and, you know, oh, again, going back to analysis, you know, they're so taken into consideration every like microscopic detail. And I, I refuse to believe we wouldn't have known about what Ross County do with long throws and what Jack Baldwin is capable of when not trying to break people's legs. Um, it is the ball travels a long way and it's a, it's a loopy, yeah, the loopy throw. The ball's in the air. It's not a Rory um, Delap missile. It's not. It's not a Rory Delap. It's more from the Scott Severn school of long throwing. <laughs> um, and I can't. Remember, I'm trying to remember who the goalkeeper was. I want to say it was Craig Gordon when he was at Celtic. Used to do this where he'd like stand out with his goal, like almost in the yeah. six-yard box, and then just attack long throws. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're a goalkeeper, you can use your arms, and you've got all the protection in the world, even if something happens, usually. Um, so I do look at it and think, in that situation, Kelrus takes a more, again, use that term, proactive, um, a more proactive approach to the situation, then the ball is there to be claimed by Kelrus. But he's not... Anthony Stewart loses the header. Kennedy fresh airs it. Jaden Richardson, you know, goes with his head when his foot would have been better. <laughs> um, it was an interesting time to go for a Marvin Andrews-esque type of defending. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you can definitely pinpoint at least four, four little crimes within this uh, entire sequence. Um, but, yeah, it's not... I certainly think Kelders can do better. I think the thing that annoys me is the fact that it comes a long way. So he's he's got... To, and I know you made a couple of good points around it's a bit comedic what happens after to, until we ultimately concede. But for me, none of that happens if the keeper just comes and deals with it. And, and I think he could have because it wasn't coming in with a great deal of pace. It did come from a long way. He must have known. You assume that... They discuss what the opposition is going to do and what they, you know, who to watch out for, what the throw-ins are like. So he must have known this is coming into the box. Well, they've done it several uh, times in the game as well. So yeah, well, that's true. So he'll know they've been doing this. He can get the ball, you know, that he can throw it that far. It's coming my direction. They're going to try and attack it. I just feel he's got all that time to watch it. And actually, the fact that he generally is on his line gives him that chance to build up a bit of momentum, come out and take it, and he's catching it or punching it or probably getting a foul. It's quite often what happens with the keeper. So I think, yeah, everyone, there are there are a few people at fault for ultimately the ball ending up in the net. But I just think if he comes and deals with that, as I think he could have done, he's a big guy, then just takes the, the pressure out of that situation, you know, collapsing the ball if you're able to hold on to it. Clock starts ticking down and you get away with one. So instead of, I don't want to go too critical on him 
at this stage because it is relatively early in the season. I, I just feel, and this might just me, it's maybe I'm just being a little nostalgic, and I I do rate Joe Lewis. I I think Joe Lewis was, I think one of the reasons we all liked him was generally speaking, he was pretty commanding and he'd make a decision relatively early on, and I feel like those are the kind of balls that he would have come from, and I f- feel he usually catches and holds. Don't really recall him being one for punching that much. I feel like Lewis was good in those situations more often than not over his career because those are exactly the moments you want your keeper to come out and just take the heat out of the situation. And I've not really seen much from Roos to date that says he's that kind of keeper. The flip side that to that might be if he's not that kind of keeper, then we need to find a way of defending them better collectively where people basically know the keeper will be on his line. So any sort of point blanks, because he had a great save against Annan, where actually being on his line was the place to be. But people just need to understand if that's where he's going to be, then, you know, Stewart's, McCrory's, whoever's back scales, we need to find a way of defending those types of crosses better, because it can't come all the way across the box if you know your keeper's not coming for it. What I would say as well, because I'm getting so hung up on the the first stage of this of this goal where Kelrus could perhaps come for it, when the ball lands at the county player, I do also believe if he's bigger and stronger, yeah. then he then he takes the ball. Um, I think the save is pretty timid. Like a, a guy that his size becomes very very small in that moment, and I, yeah, I think he could have done better there as well. I, I like Graham that you described it as being comedic. What happened after that? Um, I didn't find it funny at the time. Um, watching it back, I've kind of must have had a bit of a chuckle at it now because it is a proper just catalogue of just ridiculousness. Um, Kennedy's fresh air swipe is like what's going on there, and Richardson's slip is hilarious. It looked like he was buying new shoes today. Um, Jaden Richardson uh, for his birthday, um, but he hadn't didn't have them on yesterday as opposed to the slippers he was wearing clearly in Dingwall. It's another sign of us still looking soft at set pieces, and I do wonder. Just think about this now. Um, you know, Kelrus is a big lad. Um, we we don't actually have an awful lot of physicality in our team this season we don't have a lot of height Anthony Stewart's not a big central defender we talked about this when he moved uh, to us Liam Scales is a decent height but he's not the most physically imposing of um, centre halves he's much more of a kind of ball player after that it's kind of Ross McCrory and that's about it really isn't it we don't have a particularly big defensive unit this season and that does I wonder if this is playing into as well why we are looking vulnerable at set pieces at the moment well it's good enough for Pep Guardiola's Barcelona well, yes. It's a fairly accurate comparison. There's not really much difference between the two teams and our clubs, is there? Case closed, Gav. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> so moving on. Shut that one down quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a valid point, but then I've been quite impressed with Stuart in the air to date. He generally wins more balls than you'd think he would mm-hmm. for his height. So I take your point that in a, just a straight sort of shootout, against um, probably most teams, actually, our defence isn't the biggest, but like obviously Goodwin knows that. He signed them. Yeah. So we need to find a way of either getting a keeper who just sort of levels the playing field a bit by being commanding in the box, or, yeah, whether we just start being a bit smarter with how we defend. Yeah, I don't mean grabbing shirts, uh, you know, but we can try and... Bit sneaky with how you block runs or what you do. I don't know. We need to because I never really expected. I know it's early, but I didn't expect the Jim Goodwin side to be soft. 
at the back, I thought, probably like most of us, we would probably be all right defensively. It would. <laughs> I think Jim thought that as well. To be fair, yeah, true. I think we all imagined, or my my image of a Goodwin side would be, we'd be pretty solid at the back, not particularly adventurous. It'd be a bit of a slog of a season. We've not quite been in that mould. It's been a little better from an attacking point of view. I, I know a couple of games with 10 men, so we wrapped up with some goals and it all looks good. But we've not quite been as resilient as the, at the back as I expected. As when you look at some of those players, actually, not you know, single like Richardson, I'm not so sure we're actually going to be that resilient at the I, back. I'm not, I'm not picking on him no, for his um, part I, yesterday, but in general, teams are getting down his side I feel more than they are the left. Yeah, but I don't even feel, I don't feel Coulson is really Coulson's not really been tested defensively much. Yeah, that's so probably far. fair. But I'm not entirely sure I really fancy him in a one-on-one against a winger that much either. To be honest, he looks great going the other way, and we'll come on to Coulson again in a minute or two. But um, yeah, teams are 100% targeting us down the right side. Like yeah, absolutely. Right side. Um, yeah. All I would say to the at this point is that we did have like two man mountains. At centre back last year, we were still shite from everything. So, do you know who actually I miss for uh, defending corners? Jet. I see Jet scored four in a friendly game <laughs> today. Um, oh. So, and there's pals on FIFA. Anthony Joshua on the beach <laughs> talking about the geopolitical situation in Ukraine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not nice. It's not nice. Don't really know, but it's 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 not nice. Um, interesting point though, Graham. You just raised it, and I, I hadn't thought about this until now. Um, but let's let's go down this rabbit hole because Graham brought it up. So let's do it. You're right in the sense that <clears throat> this is not what I expected from a Jim Goodwin team. This is part of the reason why I wasn't overly keen about Goodwin take getting the job is because I thought we were just going to regress into this very pragmatic kind of McInnes-esque kind of football again. Um, and and the signs so far are not are, are not there. That's what this is going to be. Um, now, a, a lot was said at the time when Jim Goodwin took the job, and he's kind of talked about it a lot in the press, and Dave Cormack has spoken about it as well in the press, and he he spoke about us, Graham, when we were um, in Epitodre as well, that Goodwin was embracing this idea about wanting to play fast, attacking, entertaining football, which is great. But there's that part of me then going, is Goodwin also having to kind of coach against his natural instinct here? Like he's being tasked to to manage and to coach in a particular way, but it feels to me like it's, I'm not going to say it's way outside his comfort zone, but it's not how he would necessarily want to do it. So is he kind of, he's learning on the job in a number of different areas here anyway, because with all the best respect in the world to Aloha and to St Mirren, manage Aberdeen's a completely different ball game. So there's all that to deal with. But is he kind of also, I wonder, coaching against his own natural instinct to an extent here? I mean, it's pure guesswork on my, on my part, but this Aloha team got some plaudits for the way they played, didn't they? I think they did, but... I think, I mean, I want to say, I think that's as much to do with anything as to do with budgets and what you can actually almost afford to play that thing. I mean I mean in fairness not... his Simbinan side came to Petodre in December last year and tried to play expansive football and got smashed for four so he clearly has toyed with the idea in the past and there's clearly I mean if you're 
budget dictates that the best you can do is Eamon Brophy and Curtis Main. <laughs> it stands to reason that you just have to be more pragmatic. And I chatted about this with someone on Twitter the other day. We've scored 28 goals so far this season. We scored 57 in total last year. Is that right? Are we at 28 already? Yeah. Well, there you go. So I, I get the sense that, yeah, I mean, Jim Goodwin, clearly, if he could have afforded to have Johnny Hayes and Bojan Mioski at St. I'm sure they would have played a much more interesting style of football. And he's, now he's at Aberdeen being given the opportunity. No, I, I don't think that's the case at all. I think, um, I don't get this sense that he's doing something that's almost, that almost defies his, you know, beliefs or his philosophy. It's not like when Jose Mourinho pitched up to Barcelona and said that yeah, he would play tiki-taka, which, yeah. which would have been like, you know, bollocks. That would have been a presentation we've done. And then before you know it, Pepe signs for Barcelona. <laughs> um, no, I don't, I don't get that at all. I can see where you're coming from. And I don't know. This is probably not fair on actually any team he's ever managed because he's he's managed. So he's obviously going to go into every game wanting to win and probably believes that he can do. I don't know if it's just taken. It's a slightly different. I feel like he's probably got the the tools and the squad to win more games mm-hmm. than not versus what he will have had probably at any other job he's been at. So there's a slightly different mentality maybe involved with that and a bit of. Pressure. We're not. We're not as stuffy as I thought we might be. But actually, I'm quite enthused about that because we've been we've been a little more exciting than I thought we might be, and and that's kind of probably what I would rather see in the pitch. So, I guess like I mean, every manager it probably doesn't really matter who you are, how many games you manage, you're always learning on the job. So I'm I'm still trying to sort of take the view that he's figuring it out. He's got a new starting 11, give or take. It might just take us a little bit longer than probably anyone would want before we can maybe really get a feel for what the team's all about and how we can use his bench effectively to change it up and maybe we can start stringing some results together because we're not, you know, we're not too far off. When we take Saturday, for example, we're never really in the game. Mm -hmm. Then we did have that bit of quality and it it was annoying to concede a goal like that. But, you know, you cut out a couple of errors like that, you still got the, the moments of quality that picks up points that we certainly wouldn't have got before. It does feel to me like even though it is a effectively brand new starting eleven, there is still like a hangover from last year. Yeah. In terms I, of the mentality of the team. Yeah, that's a good point and a disappointing one as well, isn't it? Because like that goal, for example, was just absolute right out of the Stephen Glass playbook. Yeah, just like nervousness. It's a little bit hard to comprehend why. Yeah, because, you know, not to be disrespectful, it was Ross County. You know, it wasn't a full hand in, in a semi-final or something where you're clinging on to a result. And I can understand why well, people are getting nervous and looking over the shoulder that. It was a relatively run-of-the-mill league game early on in the season. If that's getting people rattled, that's alarming. Okay, I thought it was an interesting rabbit hole. I don't know if it was or wasn't, but anyway, there we go. Um... Johnny Hayes, really quickly, let's just talk about him. Another really good shift I thought from him yesterday. It's an unbelievable run by him in support of Kennedy uh, that then leads to the crossing for Duke for the goal. Unreal. Especially at the stage of the game it comes out, given his age. Unbelievable stuff. Kennedy's not even all that slow either. And he no. just gets absolutely destroyed by Hayes on the outside. Because I'd forgotten it was Hayes and I was watching the the highlights and you, the way sort of the camera angle sort of cuts on 
into like Kennedy, you just see some boy absolutely winding up some speed and tearing past. And then it's like, oh yeah, that's old man Hayes. Um, <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal engine and work rate. And so far this season, well, I wouldn't say it's vintage Hayes because he's a little bit older now, but he's well, he is vintage. really good. <laughs> well, yeah, true. He's, he's been excellent, I would say, probably almost every game. This season has been such a turnaround from where he just looked really sluggish last season or couldn't take the ball with him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a really, a really impressive run and uh, long may that continue. There is definitely merit in conducting some kind of research into the physiology of Johnny Hayes and how we can like <laughs> replicate that amongst the rest of the human species. Um, if he wasn't our player, I would allege some kind of PED <laughs> scandal, but uh, just Johnny Hayes being, being Johnny Hayes. I've got to give Prickler props as well to Kevin Clancy because Kevin Clancy is behind Duke when the ball is picked up and by the time the ball is in the net Kevin Clancy is kept well up with play so fair play to Kevin Clancy's cardiovascular with his yellow card in hand imagine for a second if that was like I don't know Willie Young (laughs) Willie Young wouldn't have left this this at the halfway line (laughs) exactly you'd just be watching from there and be like yeah that looks all right to me would have been nowhere near to not give a penalty for a foul. Well, that is the only time Kevin Clancy is going to get any fucking credit on this oh. podcast. Never mind. Um, let's, we have to talk about it. We have to talk about him. Lu- Luis Lopez. Luis Lopez. I mean, <clears throat> another impressive cameo from the young man. Let's just talk about, well, the goal itself we need to talk about. It's a fantastic goal. Um, I'm not entirely convinced he means to do this. Doesn't matter. Uh, Part of me wants to believe he wanted to flick it up and do this, but I'm not entirely sure that was what his intent was. But never mind. Even if he didn't, it's a it's incredible improvisation to decide to do what he does, and it's a brilliant finish because he doesn't smash it. He kind of loops it up and over Laidlaw, and um, it felt like it took an age to nestle on the top corner where we were watching it over the top of Laidlaw. Um, the goal itself will get all the plaudits, but actually, let's look at his overall contribution in the last week now because we touched on it earlier on. He came on off the bench against Livingston. Last week, um, does really well in that game, wins us the penalty that Bajerian scores, uh, really, really gave Livingston some real problems at the back. Scores a crucial goal at Annan in midweek to get us uh, in the lead in extra time when that could have, you know, got a little bit hairy, potentially, and just probably settled everyone's nerves again. And then what looked like it was going to be a winner yesterday, is it time for Duke to be given a start? Oof. Going to move on to this in the uh, in the Rangers preview. I think I'll just go back to the goal itself. I'll say that I think this is going to be Duke in a nutshell. <laughs> Somewhat a lot of unconventional brilliance. Yeah, because I think he's a he seems like to me just like he's got very still um and it's cliche as fuck, but raw. You know, there's there's talent there, but it'll come out in in ways that maybe you don't quite expect. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you. I don't think it's a particularly great first touch, but then he managed to improvise and get the goal and, um, the goal you think is going to win it, but not to be, he's done well lately. No doubt about it. Um, I see a lot of merit in him being the impact sub, but I do also think that Rangers is a time to be bold. Does that mean Louis Lopez starts? I say so. I reckon Louis Lopez will thrive off an atmosphere as well. Like, hopefully there might be a pathology next week. We'll come on to this. Um, he 
appears on the face of it to fucking love playing um, first team football for us. I mean, he's spent his career today, obviously playing through the Benfica youth system and playing like B team under 23 football. So not in front of like big crowds or anything. I think he clearly thrives off of that. You could see it yesterday in his reaction. You've seen it in all of his goals so far, the way he's celebrated them. In particular, the one yesterday. One thing I absolutely loved about this yesterday, Graham, we, we spoke about the time, was the fact he knew he's, he knew he was getting booked um, for taking off about five different layers of clothing to celebrate. Um, but he made Kevin Clancy stand about like an absolute spare prick at a wedding with his yellow card out, waiting and waiting and waiting to actually brandish it at him, which was just some glorious shithousery by not even turning to look at him. Um He's very quickly becoming a proper cult hero amongst the Aberdeen support, isn't he? Yeah, I am very much. I mean, because you know, cult heroes can of you know sometimes they're a cult hero because they're all their joke. Yeah, it's all their joke and it's all their laugh, and we have got plenty of them. But <laughs> genuinely, so far, I'm really enjoying him. I think you're right. He's not the finished article, but if he was, would he be Aberdeen? Of course, he wouldn't. So I'm really enjoying him. He seems to be enjoying himself in the minutes he's getting on the pitch. It's good that you want your you want your attacking players to obviously be scoring, but getting goals early on in the season and in their career. So hopefully that'll help his confidence. And I think he's making he's making it difficult to not feature more. And there's a couple of guys that should be looking over their shoulder because there's a couple of guys in that team not really delivering and he's um he's been good. He's been good so far. And you want guys that are a little bit, yeah, they're going to bug the hell out of you sometimes. I mean, yeah, whether he meant to do that on Saturday or not, doesn't really matter. It happened. The thought process to even contemplate that, I can't even comprehend. You need guys like that. So I think it's going to be difficult to to not get him rid of the team sometime soon. There needs to be that incentive, doesn't there? Yeah. That if you Absolutely. deliver off the bench, then you are your position is not going to be stuck there. I do just think that we spoke about the train home last night again. I just think there's such a... As, as rubbish as it would be for the guy if he keeps on coming in and keeps on doing well, I do think there's real value to him having that that completely different option to take off the bench, that unpredictability to take off the bench, especially when a game has been, as it was yesterday, quite... Um, what's the word I'm looking Shite. for? <laughs> yeah, but quite entrenched. You know, it's it's heading towards a nil-nil the teams have kind of just played themselves out here. There's been nothing really different happening. Everyone's cancelling each other out, aren't they? Yeah. So why would you just take off someone for fresh legs? Get get something different. Gets the fans yeah. going a little bit as well. Sometimes helps. Yeah, exactly. Something to think about. So you're right, but there was even one ways... moment. There was. I was going to say there was even one moment. There was a throw up the line, and he kind of did this like weird, like he just kind of flicked his head, and it just kind of nudged off the top of his head, and he ran off. Like it was like a nut, it was like a nutmeg, obviously. But he kind of flicked the ball off his head and ran around to collect it. And the defender just clearly wasn't even thinking this is what this guy's going to do. Like just never even expect. And he got up the line, and I think we, I don't know if we got a corner over whatever we got, but it just I think as well when you get to that stage in a game like 70, 75 minutes, eighty minutes, and you've got tired legs and the opposition, tired minds as well. The last thing they want is a guy coming on and like turning them quickly and getting them having to think about what the fuck is this boy going to do. Speed and the power, and just what you've said there. What is the worst kind of player to play against? Someone who's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. But you genuinely don't like do you do you stand off him or do you get tight? What what do you do? And he can he can mix it up. If someone who's just always going to do the same yeah. thing, 
you're going to figure out quite quickly how to play him. Now, that might mean that he doesn't always know what he's going to do, but it's still going to work <laughs> no, in your favour. That's, that's, that's what I was going to say. Yes, absolutely. Uh, who's everyone's favourite Pish cult hero? Oh, good question. Curzo yeah. was quite funny. <laughs> Curzo? Yeah, Curzo. Gary MacDonald. Was he a cult hero? I don't think no, they go in the cult hero category. <laughs> um, there must be. Everyone's favourite... I'm being Are called saying... out now, but it's impossible that there aren't any. Are you saying, Gav, they have to be Pish cult heroes? Yeah, that's what Graham said. Okay. Um, Leon Mike. I mean, even to this day, he's, the chat is still made every now and again. Yeah, I reckon it's Leon Mike for me. He's in that quintessential, was not a very good footballer, but he seemed to have something about him, or in early doors anyway, where the fans kind of took to him. And then This one, I'll put the cat amongst the pigeons, Cosgrove. Mm, was yeah. Cosgrove a cult hero? Ballon d'Or. Sammy Cosgrove, Ballon d'Or, kind of, kind of started off like a bit of a piss take, didn't it? And then, yeah. Cosgrove's a good shout. Yeah. Um, Not my favourite. I mean, I feel Kiriakov has to be in this conversation. Kiriakov's a good shout. Kiriakov is a very good shout. I think this needs to be... Um, this could be a segment, actually. You know that. Park, park this for Wednesday, boys. Maybe put this to the people. Yeah, this Yeah. This. This. This feels like a segment all by of its way, own. By the way, that's uh, Sam Cosgrove who scored two goals for the... Uh, the Argyle at the weekend. I saw that at the Pilgrims. Really? Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's uh, their that's their nickname, Pilgrims. That's it. Pilgrims. Wow, that's um, that's the season over. Two, they came from two 0 down to win three two, and he scored the the two to win it for them. Wow, so he's a cult hero at two clubs. He is apparently now. Yeah, <laughs> continues not, the links between Aberdeen and Plymouth Argyle. Not so much at Birmingham, of which there are a lot. Maybe another cult hero in there, Jim Patterson, um, and Alan Gow. Alan Gow was at Plymouth, wasn't he? He was at Plymouth. He was, was ever. He was everywhere apart from Aberdeen. <laughs> was David McNamee at Plymouth? That sounds familiar. There we go. That sounds about right. Um, and Stevie Crawford. And yeah. Anyway, let's move on. And Chris, and, and, Clark. and Chris Clark, who will be coming up later on. <laughs> um, top Don then. Now Duke picked up the ABZFP Solar System Top Don Award. He got sixty-seven percent of the vote against Hayden Coulson's 33%. There was only two in the poll this week, because I'm going to be honest, the, the first wave hangover had started to kick in at this point, and I just couldn't be arsed thinking about who else had played well. Um, Ram and Danny probably actually should have had a shout of being involved in this as well, but let's be honest, Graham, it was a long fucking day, wasn't it? It was a long day. It was a long day. So let's just agree that everyone's right and we're wrong. Duke was the man of the match. Duke for me, Gav. Uh, I'm going to give my... Top Dawn Award to everyone that travelled to Dingwall and back via ScotRail. Oh, Gav's like such a like... That is a, that is a heroic yeah. effort. He's such a... What's the word I'm looking for? Brown noser. God, I'm so tired. I'm I so believe tired. it's called I believe it's called populism. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, indeed. indeed. Um, yeah, there we go. With results elsewhere, the Dons actually move up the table into third spot and goal difference. Three points off of Sevco 5088 Limited, who sit in second place after their 4-0 hammering at Celtic Park on Saturday. So news from Pataudry and Cormac Park this week. So this is going to be a long segment. Where do we start with this one? Uh, boys, let's go, shall we, with the closure of the summer transfer window on Thursday. Sure. Seems like an obvious place to start. Um, none in, which... I think it was a bit of a surprise. Um, we'd had an odd early in the day that we were, and this was confirmed by Jim Goodwin as well in his press conference during the week that 
we were looking for two, but we just couldn't quite get those deals done. Um, looked like they're two players who are under contract elsewhere, so we had to rely on other clubs wanting to do business. Um, the club seemingly taking the view that they wanted to make sure it was quality coming in the door, not just numbers. So before we move on to who <laughs> went out, just what are your thoughts on that strategy, chaps? Uh, they said quality over quantity in January, and then we signed Adam Montgomery. I, I know, I know. So but we um, didn't sign Adam Montgomery this well, time. Well, there's so. the pro. Adam Montgomery did not come in the door. So um, I definitely feel we're, I feel we have a good 18 or 19 or 20, but I do feel like we're liked. The thing that I'm kind of taking comfort in that is that there's not actually that many games between now and January, obviously with the World Cup um, taking up time between November and December. I think we've got enough if we're lucky to get us through there and yeah, we can reevaluate, look at our options again and see maybe these two players we're looking at will be out of the picture at their clubs come January. We can look into those deals again, or, you know, it's more time for Dad and Mowbray and the scouting team to unearth other gems elsewhere. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, it's always there, like, cause you don't know who the guys were, you know, if you come out and said it was these two. Connor Ronan. You, you might be looking at him saying, right, oh, we should have done everything to get those guys in. Or we might have been three of us sitting here thinking, that's a good job. They didn't work out. Those guys are mints. So you don't really know who you are in the mix Shit, for. But Yeah, we're signing Fraser Hornby again. Uh, don't even... But Gav makes a good point. There's there's 11 games until the World Cup um, starts. And then you've got like nearly a month's break. And then there's three games in December before the January window. So we've got 14 games to get through. And let's um, be fair, our players are not going to be overly affected by the World Cup. So, no, no, there's a month. There's a month's worth of rest there. For them. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they've obviously got the trip to the states um, in there for some training camp, um, of which there might be a couple of notable players missing um, from our squad that travel to Atlanta. Keep your eye on that there. Um, but even in that group, you've got like, we play Celtic. Celtic at home is our first game back after the World Cup, so Liam Scales will miss that game, obviously. Um, that's probably the area I mean I think defence and midfield were the two areas that we were trying to strengthen for me that is where I still feel we are light in the squad is in defence um, certainly in the centre half area and I feel we're probably we don't have any defensive coverage at all in the team for right back um, I mean Ross McCrory could play there but we've spoken at length about how we don't want to see Ross McCrory being moved out he's midfield a midfielder again. leave him there yeah. <laughs> agreed you're um, right if you're absolutely up against it you can but Let's not open up that whole can of worms again. Yeah, there's Ross McCrory, and if you're really in a pinch, Matty Kennedy has played right wing back in the past. Oh God, I really don't want to see that. I mean, but just think, I mean, put this in, there's, it, this could easily happen, is that you have an injury or a suspension to Ross McCrory ahead of that Celtic match, for example, and then you're down to, and, and one for Jaden Richardson, and you're in a point there where you don't actually have any sort of real backup within the squad there other than Jack Milne. Um, to come in and play centre half, and then you don't have anyone to play right back unless, like you say, you put um, like Matty Kennedy there or something daft. It's I understand the concept of spotting quality, not numbers in, but at the same time, it's like I do feel we're very, very, very short in a couple of key areas. If if we get some injuries or suspension starts kicking, that said, our 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 um, disciplinary record this season is exemplary, um, which is again probably not something you would want to you would level a. Uh, Jim Goodwin side um, based on his playing career. <laughs> By the way, I mean I had a little um, a little spat with a Ross County fan on Twitter. On yeah, we Saturday. saw that. I thought for a minute you were away to like 
asking for a square going thing wall, knowing there was just the two of us there. <laughs> um, yeah, we've only had six yellow cards this season in the league. Um, I, I was just going to say he brought up, I mentioned that I thought Ross County were a dirty team based on the Kilmarnock game, which is not overly um, outrageous on my part, I think. And he mentioned that we had one of the dirtiest players in the game as our manager. And I thought that going down the route of past indiscretions of our managers, that's an interesting game to play here, mate. Absolutely. Um, let's not go any further on that one, I think, at this moment in time, because people keep on saying that I'm being mean about Malachi McKay. So um, Graham Spears. I don't, I don't understand why, because he's a big racist fuckwit. Anyway, um, out the door. Oh, I, would, Sorry, I was just, just going to finish off that. Although the transfer has shut, we are still able to bring in free agents. And there are a lot of very good players out there with no club. This is true, but I guess the problem here will now be that if you bring a free agent in at this time, they have not had any sort of pre-season. So they're coming in in the David Bates category here where you bring them in and if you have to throw them into a game, for example, it could go horribly wrong very quickly. Or, um, the, Greg, or the Greg Halford moment. Or the Greg Halford moment. Speaking of which... Amazing. Speaking of which... Sensational. How did we miss that for the... Oh, it wasn't the Scottish football. Yeah. I know, we should have put it in though, maybe. Maybe we should have had it in the intro. Um, what a spectacular goal that was. Couldn't have helped a nicer stuff. guy. Exactly. What an for, for a nicer team. What a, f- I know, I know. What a fucking nugget. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? Free agents. Guys tend to be free agents at this point in the season as well for a reason. Like they've been badly advised, Alexander Clark, and then you end up coming back to Hearts, <laughs> which is not in England. That's a weird one. Folks, I'm in some decent keeper but it did seem a bit bit strange that that one came together I'm happy as bits that Hearts have decided Xander Clark's the next keeper after Craig Gordon I'll be honest he's got a three year deal I can imagine a three year deal so he's I, I think Gordon retires end of the season the way Craig Gordon's playing I'd imagine he's, he sees out that three years <laughs> I think Gordon's gone end of the season um, personally anyway I'm happy with what we've we've not got people in for the sake of it so I will yeah. just have to trust yeah. their judgment. I agree you might be taking a little bit of a gamble with injuries and suspensions, but we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. I reserve the right to spit the W out in about three weeks when... Hang on, Christian. Half, Hang on. <laughs> when half the team's out for suspensions, we've got no cover. Maybe Christian Ramirez could play centre-half. <laughs> He'd be brought in from the cold. Um, be interesting. It certainly would be. Uh, so anyway, let's 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 get out the door um, on Thursday. David Bates departed on a permanent deal to KV Mechelen in Belgium's first division. I tell you what, David Bates must have some fucking agent. That's all I'm going to say. He is the well. I mean, you say that, but he's the best center, Scottish center half in Belgium now. True, true. Um, the ginger Ramos disappears. No news in the Don's press release, but any transfer fee involved. So I. I'd be interested to see what this means from a financial perspective. Yeah, David Bates signed a three-year contract, didn't he? He did, indeed, yeah. Uh, so I wonder if what's happened here is we've agreed to waive any fee to Mechelen to then, for them just to pick up his full wages and his contract. Um, hopefully that's what's happened. We've not had to have any kind of residual financial liability, Graham. You're an accountant. Does that sound like good talk? Well, get your man wheeled out in a couple of months to address the Bates rumours. <laughs> <laughs> Bates Gate after Hernandez Gate. Yeah. Hashtag nothing to see here. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually don't like. I'm I'm glad he's gone. Only from the point of view of he's obviously. Cut it there, Gav. I'm glad he's, he's gone. 
But it wasn't going to feature because I hadn't been making the, the squad. So it's obviously not good from us, from a club point of view, having anyone on the books that you're never, ever going to play it. And you know, it's no use for him either. I'm a little disappointed with the way it worked out. I was expecting more. I can't decide if I feel a little sorry for him. He probably wasn't as good as I thought he would be. But with everything that went on with the state of that squad last season, I don't really know if he got a real full crack of the whip. Um, I mean, it's, it's a moot point now. He's he's gone. I'm not so sure. He's been no means the worst signing we've ever had. So it's a little bit of a shame the way that worked out, but not a bad ending to that at the end of the transfer window. The danger was you're stuck paying what I assume were decent wages, at least until January. And then on the sort of flip side, you've got a young man sitting there wasting six months of his career before he can start getting out and about. So decent outcome, but overall a little bit surprised that that's how we ended up with David Bates. It's funny the way it works out, isn't it? Because if you go back to last year, from the outside looking in, a centre-back pairing of Declan Gallagher and David Bates, you'd think we'd had it made, and we did not. Agreed. It was, it, uh, it it did not go well. Um, I agree with you. I I do have a degree of sympathy for David Bates because of the situation he arrived in. Obviously, we were a shambolic defence. He came in through in difficult circumstances from his time at Hamburg, no preseason, no nothing, and was thrown into left centre back in a team that played out from the back routinely and um, put him under all sorts of pressure. I've been the thing as well, I don't I think his height maybe exacerbates this, but I've never seen a guy's shoulders slump so much yeah. from one mistake. Yeah. That was a guy that's just his confidence was just rock bottom when he signed and Having to partner Declan Gallagher is not an easy fucking ride either, is it? Let's well, be honest. That, well, that and also playing left beside a centre-back alongside, you know, Ross McCrory was learning his position as well. There was a time in November, I swear, when we spoke to Noel Blaha that David Bates was coming onto a game. Yeah, he was, actually. I thought his confidence was up. He scored a goal against Livingston, I think. It was his first yeah. one. There looked like there might be something in there. I, I'm not sure how much I buy into this whole playing on the left-hand side of the, the centre-half pairing. I'm a bit like, you guys are professional footballers. It's but, it's it's not ideal for you. You want to be receiving the ball in his position on your more naturally, you know, um, assured foot. But at the same time, it's like, come on, boys! Like, nah, no, 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 no. I think there's, I think there's definitely you something can smash like, a ball up the park with your right peg. It doesn't really matter. Well, but the, but the difficulty there is that yeah, you do that, and then like the manager will have a pop at you. So then, you know, if you come inside, you're going back at the danger area. So then you have to go into your left side and then there's no one there because Johnny Hayes has gone up to the corner flag. Yeah, I, I am being slightly facetious. Um, Idiots on yeah. podcasts will have a pop. I think, um, yeah, I think he, I think David Bates, there's something there. Definitely. I'm surprised that he's not featured. I, I generally thought the way Goodwin talked at the end of last season that he would have a, a part to play. In this season, I suspect that that changed when maybe Anthony Stewart came on our radar. And obviously, you know, David Bates probably doesn't want to be playing at the a team. They, I was just going to say, the way they spoke about Anthony Stewart, though, when he signed was that he'd been on our radar since, like, January. So I don't think the Anthony Stewart thing was a big surprise to us. Perhaps he was um, on our radar. Perhaps maybe we weren't 100% about getting Anthony Stewart. You know, I, very comfortable. Who knows? I got the impression that Goodwin was playing the long game a bit with Bates and that he wasn't going to be too committal about whether he would or wouldn't be here in comparison to other players. Like he made it very clear with other players that just, I don't fancy you and you're away. 
Um, I think because they weren't sure what they were going to do in the transfer market, I think they want to keep their options open until they saw what they got in the door. Um, but I kind of got the impression that he didn't really fancy Bates all that much. I got, I personally got the impression that he would have been content with Bates being around as the sort of third choice defender if David Bates was up for it. But it was interesting when we had the, I think was it the Sky cameras with the training ground and they mentioned, <laughs> yeah, I know, it I was know. Ramirez and, and David Bates. Bates, and of course, you know. Anyone that knows anything about the media knows these questions aren't just, you know, spur of the moment. They're cued and a hint has been given. So um, I get the impression that Bates wanted a clean slate as much as anyone. And I think that's probably good for him. So, yeah, as uh, unpopular as it might be, just talk about an ex-Rangers player who wasn't very good for us. I'm going to go ahead and wish David Bates all the best going forward. Um, Of course, it does mean that out of last season's summer acquisitions, we are down to two. Um, in the form of Marley Watkins and Christian Ramirez, both who um, don't appear to have much in the way of a future at Aberdeen Football Club either. We'll come on to Ramirez in a minute. Well, Marley Watkins is allowed on the bus at least. Yeah, um, we'll come on to we'll come on to Ramirez in a minute or two. Um, Watkins, I just che- had to check he actually was on the bench yesterday because I, d- I couldn't was, even remember yeah. seeing him warming up at any point yesterday, but, but never mind. Um, Con McLennan. He headed out on loan to St. Johnston for the remainder of the season. I, I don't think there's any real massive surprise here that McLennan's gone on loan because, again, he was just not in, well, not having a look in at all in the squad for, for most of the season so far. If anything, I'm a little bit surprised he actually got a loan move to a Premier League side, um, being brutally honest. I, I suspect he might have had to drop down at championship level. Um, it was a better level than I expected as well. I was a little bit surprised when they did finally announce that he'd gone because I'll be honest. I don't know why that, maybe it was just taking time to get done or see what options, but I kind of thought he'd be loaned out quite early on, given mm-hmm. that he hadn't really featured much. So it's a better level than I thought, but I you know, I wish him all the best. He's, in my opinion, he's not good enough for Aberdeen and he's had enough chances to prove me wrong. I know he's made a lot of substitution appearances, but he's had over 100 appearances for Aberdeen. And aside from the odd moment where he does something like, yes, there's a player in there, more often than not, just don't think he's at the level we need, to be honest. So I hope it works out for him. I mean, he's never going to come back. It's going to be one hell of a turnaround if he can score a new deal at, uh, at Aberdeen out of this. So I hope it works out for him and whether that gets him something at St. Johnston or just gets him a, a deal afterwards to maybe just go and try and, you know, sort of push on in his career. But a good move in that he was never going to play for us, so he may as well go and get a run around somewhere else. Yeah, tend to agree. Um, the surprise for me was just how long it took for the loan to actually happen. Um, he's been out of the picture, I want to say, almost since the league campaign has started. So I would have thought work would have been done um, in advance of deadline day for him to actually go out. You never know what the situation is. Maybe he wasn't so keen on going out or, or what. You know, uh, that's a fair point. I always just sort of assume that the club's, oh, you're going. And then he'll be, oh yeah, that's no problem because obviously... He might have been thinking, I want to fight. It's a new manager, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's fair enough, actually. It might have taken a bit of toing and froing behind the scenes. And also, you never know, maybe maybe they're holding on to him for numbers and then you take that gamble, well, we'll loan him out because we'll do one of those deals that we were looking at and it doesn't happen. So you're, you're a little light in your squad now, but you might not have been had things fallen into place. So I, I wish him well. Yeah, I think it's the right thing. He's not going to play for us. This is one of these situations where I worry that people maybe will um, 
misconstrue um, our criticism of Conor McLennan as a player as being almost like a personal thing, which is not at all. Um, yeah, not, look, not at look, all. Look, look, a lad who's just, you know, who's had, I think Graham's right, he's had plenty of chances and just has never got it together. Um, likewise, um, with all the young lads that come through Aberdeen, I wish him well. I suspect this is the statement the club released about the loan very much made out to me that this is like almost a loan with a view of him move, earning a move elsewhere um, at the end of his contract which would comes up at the end of the um, next summer. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely wish him well. Um, I just, I just hope that he's not setting up too many goals for Stevie May. I guess we'll he, wait and see. he's a prick. I guess we'll wait and see because um, we have form for loaning out wingers who couldn't quite make the breakthrough at Aberdeen to St. Johnston. And then they came back and did all right for a little while. Um, so you never know. But do you I think looking... we'll be, we'll be getting a song up the charts for Conor McLennan, is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, Gav's looking quizzically about this. Loaning at wingers to St Johnston. Mm-hmm. Peter Pollitt, baby. Went there, came back, um, we found a role for him and did well for 18 months. So you just never know in this funny old game. But let's just see what happens with Conor McLennan. Uh, moving on quickly, Tom Ritchie saw his loan at the Quas cancelled and he was immediately loaned back out to League One Peter Head, a move that was meant to take place early in the window but that was kiboshed after we drew the blue tune in the League Cup and he was straight into the starting lineup for Peterhead on Saturday. What was the score? Yeah, they got beat 2-0 by Montrose. Well, come on, that, that covers one off on Lone Watch. But anyway, so perhaps all of the drama on deadline day was in relation to a certain Christian Ramirez. Whew, here we go. Strap ourselves in for this one. Can open. Can open. Worms everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> Apparent interest in him from hearts on loan. Um, bollocks was talked about the day before which failed to materialize into anything concrete jim gooden was asked about in his um press conference on thursday and indicated that um he'd heard nothing of the sort and that he wouldn't be happy to loan him out to a rival club anyway um as deadline day then wound its way towards the 12 o'clock closure the american cryptically tweeted and i quote make it make sense please there are two sides to every story. That's all for now. Um, one of the more ill-advised things that Christian Ramirez has done in relation to social media, I think it's in recent years. Now, it's, the only thing I can make out from that tweet would be that maybe Hearts might have made an inquiry about him. Um, and Aberdeen have said, no, you're not moving to a rival, which is similar to what Gordon said in his press call. So he's maybe in a bit of a position of being like, well, you don't want me, but you're not going to let me go somewhere. Um Ramirez then deleted that tweet afterwards. Um, he then deleted his entire social media presence not long after that as well. I think it's probably fair to say because the tweet certainly didn't get the response he was maybe looking for. Um, I don't think it garnered much in the way of sympathy from, from anyone. Gents, just your thoughts on this one. And let's be honest, this whole thing is becoming one big fucking soap opera that just needs to get put to bed. Um, yeah, no one puts anything on social media with the intent of getting people to reply, shut the fuck up. um, unless it's us unless it's us it's um yeah you you wonder what goes through some people's minds when they post things that's 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 really all i have to say about it i mean yeah um it's it's just it's felt like a situation that's been ongoing since february and yeah it just needs to get put to bed i've I've not like i'm kind of out of fucks to give 
over Christian Ramirez in this whole situation. I just want it to be over. I'm like that Jim from the office meme. I just want it to stop. <laughs> yeah. Obviously I, I don't I don't know the, the guy personally, so all of my criticism is not personal, it's purely the fact that all I see is a man paid to do a job, goodness knows how many hundreds of thousands of guys would love to do, presumably getting paid reasonably well. Maybe not be happy about it. Things aren't working out the way probably anyone wants. All of that's fine. But as a grown man, the naivety to put stuff like that out there and then don't even have the ball to see it through. That's what pisses me off. Put it out there, fine. But what is it, is it the Lemmy meme? Double yeah. down. Just go for it. Just go put your story down. out there. Double. It doesn't make it right, people piling on. But at the end of the day, everyone will, oh, the majority of people will always side with the club. That is the mentality of following your football club. Sometimes, even if someone's done something really stupid, if he plays for your club, you'll support him. We all know examples of players who've done sometimes unpleasant things and all you get is people defending them because they get into that club mentality. So if he, if he genuinely thought people cared or were going to side with him, that's a little naive and a little silly. Um, all you're going to do is piss people off. I'm sure there are genuine reasons. There obviously will be two sides to it. We will never know what the truth is because you never ever do in these situations. I think what actually annoys me the most is there's a guy that presumably isn't going to feature because I'm kind of looks like that relationship might be broken, which isn't particularly <laughs> smart. <laughs> Great, I'm being nice. Very I'm being nice. But it's not, it's not smart, though, because we've just been discussing about we're a little light in a few areas, and now you've alienated someone who you're paying until at least January. So nobody, in my opinion, obviously I don't, I don't know any of the facts, but just looking from the outside in, I don't <laughs> think anyone's coming out this well, and I'm not really sure anyone's played this particularly well either. So it's disappointing, I agree. I just wanted to be done with, and I thought it would have been done with by now. I think we all thought something would have happened in the summer we've got to rumble on for another few months and then fingers crossed it's resolved in January one way or another but obviously the one way will be for him to disappear I, you know what the thing is I just wouldn't mind if he just spoke straight not like some fucking attention seeking you know post that's garnered that's like done to provoke responses that'll go along the lines of you okay hon yeah, well, I, I can't remember who it was. It I can't remember who it was. I'll PM you. Yeah, like, that that kind no, of shit. Bother. It's just like, it's, like, it, it's a thirty-one-year-old man we're talking about here. It's like yeah, it's just um, there's been a lot of chat about Jim Goodwin's man management um in the last few days from people who still still insist on defending Christian Ramirez, which I just can't really quite get my head around. Um, and I simply say to that the, there was nothing to manage because Ramirez chucked it. Once Stephen Glass got sacked, that's the way I saw it. That's the way I'm, I'm talking. I'm saying it. How as I see it, and we did not see the same Christian Ramirez post Stephen Glass as we did pre, with, with, during. Yes. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. But it's a fair point. I've seen a lot of this as well. But oh, Goodwin's man management's not good enough, and all this kind of stuff. And it's a bit like. In these instances, I find that so much of the burden of responsibility is placed on the manager. Mm-hmm. rather than the players, and I don't really understand that. Well, this thing for me gets down to about two or three different things. A, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened here that has not been played out properly, that hasn't come out um, 
in the media around certain circumstances and certain things that happened towards the back end of last season. And maybe they will come out in the fullness of time. Um, but at the end of the day, as a professional footballer, you have to accept the fact that when a new manager comes in the door, he's going to have different levels of expectations from what the previous manager had, whatever they may be. If that's in terms of your work rate, in terms of the way he wants you to play, in terms of the way he expects the team to play, whatever it might be. There are going to be different expectations placed on you. And if you don't buy into those expectations or you don't perform for a new manager coming in, it's the same as any workplace, let's be honest. You're going to face a situation where you fall out of favor and you may not be guaranteed the kind of position that you had to begin with. And I thought it was quite funny. Goodwin was kind of a bit tongue in cheek, I think, about this during the week. He was kind of saying that his goals to games ratio has not been good enough since he came in the door. And Goodwin's not wrong about that. I mean, Ramirez hasn't scored a league goal now since... February was it, was it February? It's probably even before that, I think. Uh, he um, scored in the cup game against Motherwell, but um, I he scored in the game against Celtic before that. Actually, the home game against Celtic before that. So that'll be end of January, February sort of time. He hasn't scored in the league since then. Didn't score in any of the games that uh, when Goodwin was in the door. So it's natural that Goodwin was at this point already starting to think: Can I trust this guy? Do I want this guy? You know, he was part of the old management team's picks as well. And it's been very clear that Goodwin's basically just taken an absolute, you know, scythe to those signings and he wants his own team. And that's entirely his prerogative as well. For me, if the if the player is not mature enough to knuckle down, make it hard for the, the manager not to pick him. And I know people look at the League Cup and go, well, he scored goals there and yada, yada, yada. Fine. But something else has clearly happened between then and now for him to be completely bombed out of the side. You know, uh, there's such an onus for me on the player to prove the manager wrong. And this clearly isn't happening. And I think that I, I just get the impression that we saw it at McDermott Park a couple of weeks ago. And I suspect this is the straw that broke the camel's back when he wasn't picked to come off the bench and he threw a massive strop on the bench. I reckon that was the thing that really did it. But the kind of sulkiness, I imagine, just will not go down well with a guy like Goodwin. Somebody posted that picture. It was after he got hooked against... Dundee or Livingston at the back end of last season, he got hooked and he went, he walked down the bench and he kicked a water bottle and he sat. Remember Gav? He was yep. sitting, trying to pick out a camera at the bottom of this, uh, the Richard Donald end to look for a mean and moody shot of him on the bench. And somebody posted an image of him walking away from Goodwin there. It was like, that's the moment that Goodwin decided you're not the player for me. And I think it's absolutely right. I can't see Goodwin standing for that type of shit. Whether that's right or that's wrong, you have to adapt to the manager coming in the door. There's that, and there's also, I think Jim Goodwin, I'm sure, has talked about togetherness and team spirit and that kind of thing, and the importance he places upon that within his dressing room. And one other thing people seem to forget is when Miofsky was substituted against, I want to say, St. Mirren, and Ramirez came on. I think it was maybe Wraith. Was yeah, it maybe Wraith? I was, yeah. I was there, and you're Wraith, right, um, and, no Ramirez, and Ramirez blanked him. That to me, yeah, says a lot about Christian Ramirez. Um, yeah, I've said it plenty of times online. I'll say it again on the show. Um, when all is said and done, whether he wants to admit it or not, playing for Aberdeen is going to be as big as it's going to get for Christian Ramirez, and he will have to look at himself in the mirror and wonder how, why it ended the way it ended. Because there's only one way it's going to end now. I think so. Uh, it's not going to get. Yeah, there's no, there's no way out with this now. So, sort of final pieces. I think it's a real shame. I don't like the idea of anyone coming to Aberdeen Football Club and not having a good experience. 
I don't particularly like the idea of anyone coming to my city and not enjoying themselves. So from that side of things, it's a pity that it's not worked out. But also, he scored a reasonable number of goals in a rancid team last season. I genuinely thought he could have contributed over the course of the season. Now, whether he would have forced his way in to be started again, who knows? But I do feel that's some potential goals sort of booted out of the team now. And both sides have to look at themselves in that situation. So, it's yes, it's really disappointing the way it would appear this has ended. But it's where we find ourselves. And I guess we just focus on the guys that are in the squad and appear to be keen to fight for each other. Goodwin indicated in his pre-match press conference that there still might be chances for a deal to be done here to get Ramirez out because the transfer windows in um, in Belgium, Turkey, Russia, Greece and Portugal, plus some Middle East countries, they actually still remain open just now um, between the 6th, which will obviously predate this episode going out in the 22nd of September. So is there any chance that perhaps Christian Ramirez gets packed off to deepest, darkest Siberia? <laughs> I think if someone people up told you had their way... Um... I can't see anything other than um, a move back to the US from. In the, which will have to happen now in the next window because the MLS window for free agents, I think, has now closed or it closes tomorrow on the 5th. One of the two. Even though we continue this on a week-to-week basis, I still envision a situation where we agree some kind of payoff and he goes away and takes a, goes on a gap here. Yeah, no, it, it closed the free agent window closed on the 2nd of September as well. So the, a move to the US is just off for the time being. Is that for the MLS though? Yeah. Uh, you, well, I don't, well, are you, yeah, well, yes. I see where you're going here, Gavin. The situation uh, needs to be uh, needs to be resolved one way or the other because it's just... Well, how long have we yeah. just dedicated to this now? Um, a healthy Too long. A healthy amount of time, yeah. Too long. Um, Too long. Yeah, it's, it's just a little bit... A little bit of shamble. I expect also this is going to get ramped up this next week. It's definitely going to get ramped up this week. I think I, I think my sentiments are as per the group chat um, that we have where I just tweeted you with his with his tweet, um, which I think was, this fuckwit just needs to be out of the club pronto. Um, it's time for it to finish, I'm sorry. Um, it is what it is. It's a shame it's ended this way. I don't understand this. He had like the fans eating out of the palm of his hand um, less than 12 months ago. And... For it to go this Pete Tong quite spectacularly is, is fair going by everybody involved. So anyway, let's um let's move on. Lone watch, Keenan Aguenya. That Wraith not in the match day squad as Wraith's poor start to the season continue with a 2-0 home defeat to ICT. Gav is shaking his head at this one. Uh, Gav's breakout star of the season. Um your breakout star of the season. No, we don't talk about that. Mason Hancock are both with a full 90 minutes under his belt, but they fall to another defeat. This time, 2-0 at home to Partick this on the championship. The big dick experience in danger of being entirely deflated this season. <laughs> Maybe time for some blue pills down our broth way. Um, <laughs> blue Chew. Blue Chew. Do you have a sponsor with Blue Chew? <laughs> That's one of those go-to podcast sponsors. Why the fuck not? It is, isn't it? Um, it is, absolutely. Evan Towler back on the bench for Cove as they drew 2-2 with Hamilton Ackes at the Balmoral in the Championship. So well, we talked about Tom Ritchie earlier on, we don't need to do that. Kevin Hanratty with a full 90 minutes under his belt for Forfer as they lost 2-1 to Ireland Athletic at the Galabank in League 2. Forfer, of course, being Gary's pick for League 2. Yep, where are they currently sitting at the moment? 
bottom of the table. Don't you two look too smug. Graham had Airdrie and his pick for League One. Graham, what was the Airdrie score at the weekend? Doesn't matter, they're sitting fourth. Got smashed 6-0 by FC Edinburgh. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Well, you know, everyone drops points now and again. Indeed. Still sitting fourth. Indeed, there they are, absolutely. And Dean Campbell, an unused sub for big bad bun-giving Steve Evans, Stevenage, as they beat Crewe 2-1 in League 2 down south. Stevenage is doing all right this season. Tell you what, Steve Evans must have like the cheat codes, football manager. By cheat codes, I mean <laughs> lots of brown envelopes. <laughs> Money in discreet briefcases. Yes, paid into offshore accounts. In crypto. No, 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 no. Like that, he's much more like, uh, remember when there was that whole um, staying <laughs> on football and like Sam out, uh, cost Sam out his England gig. Yes. And like, yeah, yeah, who yeah. was it? There was someone else got done and then like it was, oh, Christ, who was it? It was like Hull or something like a proper like provincial team and the assistant was caught. But he wasn't doing anything specific to that. It was just like envelopes of cash. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, let's move on. I think this is dragged on a bit. So I'm going to cut the young team segment short. Sorry, lads. Uh, a 1-1 draw for the young team against Motherwell at Cormac Park on Friday afternoon probably most notable for the fact it was Lennon Miller the son of former Aberdeen striker Lee who scored the equaliser for Motherwell he also became Motherwell's youngest ever first team player last week coming off the bench against Inverness Cali Thistle in the League Cup so there we go ah, fair play fair fucks there we go anyway no women's game this week uh, due to international commitments next up is the visit of Hibs to the Balmoral on Sunday so Saturday lunchtime sees the first visit of Sevco to Pataudry this season. One will imagine they visit the Granite City. Well, we say smarting a little bit after their absolute doing at Celtic Park on, on Saturday lunchtime. I mean, doing is an understatement. Yeah, it was It was fairly amusing, it's fair to say. Um, was it the fourth goal? The fourth goal was... Was a thing not even beauty. Stephen Glass-esque. Well, the fourth goal is what guarantees Alan McGregor's starting place in the next next week's game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, definitely. Now, I know that a lot of people will say this, and we probably say this a lot um, whenever the old firm are involved in European fixtures, but... No. <laughs> no, no, cut this section, move on. It won't make any difference. It's important for context, Graham. It's important for context. And then when we make our outlandish predictions, we can come back and <laughs> laugh at this next week. Um, I'm going to say it may be a good time to play them because they travel to Ajax on Wednesday before our fixture on the, the on, on the Saturday, which then precedes a home game for them against Napoli on Tuesday evening. Um, they've dropped points twice already this season, a 2-2 draw at Easter Roads, uh, and then also that defeat to Celtic season, sitting second at the table. They're already five points off the pace. Um a win of any sort for Aberdeen at the weekend would see us leapfrog them into second spot in the table. Uh, one would imagine that would see them also fall probably eight points behind um, Celtic, I would imagine. I don't know who Celtic are playing, but I think, this, I think at this moment in time, it doesn't really matter. Um, so it's kind of hard to to see what we might expect. Um, Celtic are at home to Livingston, so yes. It'll be Celtic are winning on Saturday. Yeah, it's hard to see what we can kind of expect, I think, um, next week, because you would think with that run of fixtures, you would imagine they might look to rest some of their key players. If they have any expectations to get the, the group stage of the Champions League, they're going to have to win all of their home games, um, you would imagine. 
And on paper, in their group, Ajax away is probably their best opportunity to get points on the road. So you'd think that they meet, they would have to look at resting players against us. Now, and this, this is an interesting point. Well, I think we've historically seen when teams do this, often their their second string are, are, are good enough to, to still be highly competitive. I do think there's a definite drop-off in quality um, when you get to their bench at the moment, especially when you see some injuries they've got um, that they would maybe look to for fret to try and freshen things up. I mean, especially at the defensive area. Gav, you touched on it yesterday. Connor Goldson and um, Jimmy Jimmy Sands. Um, they're having to play as 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 fullbacks because they've got bad injuries to Ben Davis. And I think. Backs. What did I say? Fullbacks. Did I say fullbacks? That would be that would be a very strange formation. It would be very odd, wouldn't it? At centre half, um, because they've got big in- issues with injuries in that area. It's fair to say that like they were absolutely Jerome Rotten at Parkhead <laughs> on Saturday, which surely, surely has to give us some impetus to really get after them. Yeah, they were they were Cameron Jerome. Um, it's one of those that was hard to kind of gauge because like, is it Celtic being really good? Celtic were pretty good, I've got to say. Or is it Rangers being really bad? And I feel like it's a little bit from column A and a little from column B. Um, let's just go back to the uh, chat about is it a good time to play them because of European fixtures in midweek? All I'll say to that is ask Christian Ramirez. Amsterdam's not a long flight. <laughs> it's not so much about the... This isn't a question so much about journeying. It's more just about <laughs> the fact they're playing... This isn't a question about journey. Not a question about journey. Um, um, don't stop believing about that. Um, um, it's yeah. The thing is, like, obviously, I think if they have any aspirations to get out of the group stages of the Champions League, then yeah, you probably need to get a result somewhere away from home. So I do expect they'll put in a lot um, into the game against Ajax, but I still expect they'll come and play their strongest team at Pataudry because they can't afford to to lose any ground on Celtic any more than they already have. Um, but even then, you know, I watched the I watched the game on Saturday, and it's a marked difference in the Rangers team, if in comparison to say like, um, like the peak of Steven Gerrard and his little army of backroom staff. You know, they've lost. I feel they've lost so much quality. Like I know they lost um, Bassi and Aribo in the in the summer, and feels like all they really did was just kind of sign up their older players up to new contracts and there's just not the same level of pace in their passing there's not the same level of intensity in the way they press um and yeah Connor Goldson's a horrendous defender I don't care what anyone tells me he's he's awful and Jimmy Sands is even worse we'll come up their style of play in a minute or two because but I didn't really see the game yesterday because we were um we were not in a pub that had the game on until later on. We saw the fourth goal, I think, but uh, or in fact, we saw the opener as well, actually, because we were in the first pub where we saw it happening. Um, but it didn't look like they were at the races at all against Celtic, and um, a 4-0 hammering is not going to go down too well with the legions of mutants that follow, um, that follow, follow. Um, <laughs> no, certainly not. Um, if anything, the uh, the motto was not uh, abided by. They very much surrendered. Yeah. Did they do some walking away as well? I believe the away section, there's evidence to suggest they did, yes. Excellent. Lovely stuff. Uh, we touched on it. I mean, I think 
the key man for them to stop is probably the boy Kolak. Um, uh, even then, I wouldn't say that's the case. Uh, based, I'm based only on saying what, that because he's got four goals this season. He's the top scorer. <laughs> but this is the thing, based on what I saw, like he, I'm sure he scored some goals, but he's not gonna, he's not gonna create anything himself. No, like he's he's much more of a penalty box. He's not remotely. I mean, God, this is gonna this is gonna hurt. He's not oh, the no kind cap. of persistent nuisance that Morelos is. Mm-hmm. And like Morelos can create things for himself quite often out of nothing. Kolak needs service, like anything. Yeah. I so, think if you stop the wide, I think if you stop the wide players, which has been an issue for us against Rangers in recent seasons. Well, this would be the thing. You need to pin back Tavernier, and you need to pin back presumably Barisic will play left back. Mm-hmm. That's the those are the key positions. They might because... play the new Turkish. They might play the Turkish left back. Maybe they might rest Barisic. Um, Whatever it is, because I mean, well. It's quite satisfying to go on Twitter and search Ryan Kent right now because the uh, the legions are absolutely hammering that guy as well because he was mm-hmm. awful. Only God can judge him, Gavin. Only God. Can that is that is the comfort for him to take solace in. <laughs> Doesn't matter why I say. Only God can judge him. Um. Yeah. Was not impressed at all with Rangers yesterday. That centre half painting of Goldson and Sands you spoke about earlier on, it looks ropey as fuck. And this does get us to the question we spoke about earlier on. Do we need to consider playing two up front against them or, or having more players in and around these guys? And and I could see, for example, a player like Duke causing them a world of pain potentially. I think that's a good point. You saw against, was it Livy, where yeah. Tran should have been sent off, basically a guy just sort of backing into him and then turning him and using his pace. I feel like Duke... I think it was Suter, wasn't it? I think well. Suter did that. No, Sands gets, was against County. Oh, County. Yeah, Sorry, County, yeah, it was Sands. County yeah, yeah. is what I'm thinking of. So I, I don't really think that's necessarily the office game from what I've seen from him, but I can no. definitely see Duke taking the ball into feet and just powering past someone. And I appreciate it was only that one snippet of a game, but he couldn't handle that guy at all. So I would say, I just want to see us take the game to them. I think Saturday is important because it's it's a home game, so you want the points. But I think it's also important to get a feel for where we are under Goodwin in terms of how he approaches that game. Mm-hmm. I think so. me is, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter what the result is. It obviously does matter what the result is. But if we try and, I don't necessarily need to go gung-ho and take the game to them, but... We're at home, and yes, it's Rangers, fine. But I don't want to see us be meek and passive and try and you know, sit in and see if we can get something. We're at home. I think it's going to be a real statement about the mentality of the, the manager, how he sets up, and what better statement is there than saying we're going with two up top and we're going to try and cause them some problems. Yeah, Um. when it comes to Duke, it's a... It would be a bold move, I think, to go with effectively two up top or, you know, create some kind of variation of the four two three one system with Duke in there. But I'm well up for it. I'm well up for watching Duke stretch the game, have Connor Goldson facing his own goal, putting him under pressure, pinning back their fullbacks, which is the key to their, which for me is the key to then nullify their yeah. attacking threat and also create a space in you know the final third for us and yeah like graham says i want us to go there to go there i want us to go to Pataudry 
and get right in their faces and not pay them any respect. I don't care if Conor Golton has won one league title with Rangers. I don't care if John Lundstrom has played in the Premier League for Sheffield United for one year. These are not players to be afraid of. And this is a game where we need to come in and assert ourselves. I actually genuinely think this might be the biggest match in Goodwin's tenure so far as Aberdeen manager because... It's the first time he's managed us at home against one of the two. And it'll be interesting to see how he goes about his business, I think, and how he decides to set us up. I think it's, especially because a win for us, okay, it's really early in the season, but a win for us puts us into second place, which, you know, given the start of the season we've had, um, you know, it's not been great. It's not been ideal. Let's, let's, Let's be polite about it. Um, it would be a real boost to the confidence, you'd imagine, for the for the full squad, for the team, for the city as well, you know, in terms of just getting that connection back with the support again. I think it is there to an extent at the moment, but I think a win against Rangers on, on Saturday would really help boost that again. Maybe believe, put some more belief into people that things have changed and we're maybe starting to turn a corner from where, how much of a shit show last season was. <laughs> I think, for me, it, it's, it's Goodwin's biggest match so far in his, his time as Aberdeen manager it's his biggest test yeah I think it's um, I've got a funny feeling he's going to go for it I think he's going to make a real statement as to what he's going to like put a lot of those reservations to bed people that were worried about what he'd be like against these kind of against these teams in these kind of games um, and also the kind of reality of it as well is you know we're talking about Rangers playing against Ajax I'd assume Hearts must have their first European game this week as well. Yeah, they will. Yeah, yeah. So that that to me is because I think, you know, even though we could maybe go second, I'd be amazed if we finished second in the league this year. Third place is obviously the, the minimum that we want to do. And I think this is a time we need to take advantage of Hearts playing in Europe because I think you could see from the Livingston game, they might have a big squad, but there's no depth in it whatsoever. Yeah, so like this is the time. They're the ones that will struggle more with. This the, is the time to press home, home away adva- Europe. Yeah, this yeah. is the time to press home our yeah. advantage there. Yeah, try and get some points on the board. Yeah, on that as well. Hearts actually have a pretty. Um, they have a quite a difficult run of fixtures coming up actually because they start on Thursday night against Istanbul at home. Um, oh, those Turks are going to be so intimidated by the twirly scarfs. Um, then they're at home at St Mirren on Sunday. That's oh, yeah, but to be fair, like okay, St. Mirren got hosed yesterday at um St. Johnston, but St. Mirren <laughs> have shown they're not they're not as awful as we all thought they might be this season. Then they're away on the Thursday night to RFS. Um who are RFS against? Oh, it's Riga. Um they come back, they're away to Motherwell at that point. Uh, Motherwell obviously going all right in the moment. So there's potential in there that that they could drop some points. Although we we do enter the the winter break, uh, not the winter break, the first international break of the season at that point. So they might be content to try and get through these next set of games and then regroup. But after that, they're then at home to Rangers. They've then got Fiorentina at home. Then they're away to Camart the Sunday after that. Away to Fiorentina. Then they visit Pataudry on that Sunday. Then they've got Celtic at home. Ross County away, as we saw yesterday. I'm not going to say it's not an easy place to go. That's very cliched and is a bit defeatist, but Ross it's County will do. an easy place to go. Ross County will do to Hearts what they tried to do to us yesterday. They'll make it, they'll sit in, they'll make it difficult, they'll be dogged. Uh, then they're away to Istanbul, then they are at home to Motherwell, then they're away to Rangers. Like That is not an easy set of fixtures for Hearts leading up to, kind of almost up to the winter break almost. And Gav, you're absolutely right that this is the time for us to press home 
any sort of advantage that we may be able to build by them struggling with the with the, the whole Thursday Sunday thing. I'm sure most other teams in the league who've got aspirations to finish the top three, top four will be saying exactly the same things at this moment in time. But if we want to finish where we want to finish, uh, a win against Rangers on Saturday would go a long, long way to helping us on that road. Certainly. I was going to go into some metrics about what we can expect from Rangers. I don't know if I could really bother, to be honest with you. Um, the interesting thing about them is I think that they, they want to keep the ball a lot. But you touched on it, Gav, as well, that, <clears throat> and this is borne out by the data, hashtag, um, they have the top possession statistics in the league, Rangers. They average 68.2% possession across the season so far. Those numbers are a little bit skewed because in their opening day win at Livingston, they had 83% possession, um, which is kind of absurd. So if you strip that game out, they're around 65.2%. They would sit behind Celtic on that metric. But what is interesting, Gav, you touched on it yesterday about them um, at Celtic Park, was how slow they were. There was a, a lack of kind of dynamism about them or whatever. Um, in terms of style of play this season, they absolutely want to get hold of the ball, but they build play really slowly. They, they top the table in terms of the average number of passes per sequence, uh, 4.42 per passes per sequence. But they are, on average, moving the ball slowly up the park. Only Ross County in the league move the ball up the park slower than they do. On average, Rangers are moving the ball just 1.25 metres per second. It is slow, patient possession with no real, what appears to be, cutting-edge dynamism. He says this now, watch them slice our defence to pieces with incisive through balls on Saturday afternoon. It seems to me the key here is going to be being patient from a defensive perspective and disciplined in knowing when to make presses, but doing it in a really cohesive way. Because otherwise I feel that they might be able to kind of pass the way around you. That appears to be what they're trying to do. So we need to avoid what happened in the Celtic game in October last season, for example, where we had people just pressing at random intervals and getting it all horribly wrong. I think that there's an element here where we need to be in their faces front foot but we kind of have to be a bit patient with our work as well defensively I just feel we need, almost need to take the template that Celtic laid out on Saturday which was a very very intensive pressing game and I know Celtic are, have got better players than us and are more used to the way Postacoglu wants them to play but I got the impression that yeah the absolute opposite is what you need to do you need to get in their faces from the minute one because I mean like you want, to talk yeah, about, but I think you, want, you want to talk about slow play. I mean, the grandfather clock himself, Stephen Davis in the centre midfield, that's what's the opposite of a DeLorean? You know, that's that's that was the impression I got from that guy. I think when I'm saying about being patient, I mean it in the sense of being disciplined in your press. Celtic are very, very good at their pressing because they do it as a unit and they they hunt in packs. We saw it last season with us with Stephen Glass. We tried to do this high press thing, we got it horribly wrong a lot of the time. Oh, that's that's because we didn't do it as a unit, we did it as individuals. Oh yeah, which is why I'm saying you need to be patient with it. You need to know when to do it. It doesn't mean you just sit back and watch them. It's about this idea about picking your times, and which is what Celtic are also very good at doing in fairness. Celtic are so good at doing it in fairness to them, they make it look like they're doing it all the time, when realistically they're not. Rangers had more possession yesterday than Celtic did. It was 55-45, I think, in terms of possession. Rangers uh, in favour yesterday. Yeah, so, but they, yeah, but they kicked off about five times. Well, this is also true. This is very true. Um, but it is interesting that dynamic, isn't it, about how you decide to go after this game? Because everyone wants to, everyone wants to see you go blood and guts, four four back into kicking guys into the sky, 
I think we all want a bit of blood and thunder next week, but it has to be done in a way that doesn't leave you exposed. And the good thing is that Jim Goodwin already wears a gilet. He does. He does wear a gilet. Um, yeah, I, I just don't want the same typical performance against the old firm that I've become way too accustomed to. I don't want... Yeah. I just don't want that level of inherent... You could call it respect, like Carrie Orison referred to it, it's deference. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. bullshit. I want us to go for them. and Because I do not think there's a... It's it would be churlish to not recognize they've pulled off some pretty good results in Europe in the last six months, but I don't think there's a particularly strong team there. I really don't, and that's not me as an Aberdeen fan. That's me as someone who's watched my share of football, and that's not the Rangers team that it was as little as two years ago. Yeah, um, I just don't really like talking about them. I know much, so wasted way too much fucking breath. But... Yeah. But it's not going to make any difference them playing in Europe, in my opinion. And I hope we are more adventurous with our lineup, and we take the game to them. And that doesn't mean everyone charging around after the ball and then they're burst after an hour. It means trying to press at the right time collectively. So it kind of only works if you've been drilling it in, in training. And then, you know, really... The reality is you will get opportunities against them, but we really, really need to be doing the yeah. absolute best with opportunities we get. So whether that's an opportunity to cross, set pieces, you know, our shots, uh, you're not going to get that many. So let's just really hope we can make some of them count because you will get the chances. They can, they can be got at. You're absolutely right. They are, they're not the sort of that intense Rangers team that maybe had existed a wee while ago, they are they are a little easier to get at. So let's just hope we can actually do that. And because you know, it's like if, if they do that, got a decent start. Not that the crowd won't behind them anyway, but that'll get everyone going, and hopefully the players feed off that, and it just spurs them on. I do hope as well that this week, because we've got such a new squad and people that are very new to Scottish football, I do hope that our leaders, our senior players, um, thinking Ross McCrory. Johnny Hayes, Joe Lewis are making sure everyone knows about the importance of this game to the support yeah. and the club. Um, whatever you need to do, um, find Most the control is maybe the wrong one to be doing that, Gav. He'll know the importance of it. <laughs> he <laughs> just I... needs to remember which way round. That, that was Did... a joke, by the way. I have absolutely Did... nothing against Ross McCrory in terms of he will be putting in a shift as he always does, I'm sure. That's old news, by the way. We're now talking about um, Carter Vickers and the two American lads and the Rangers team having dinner together oh, after course. the game. Oh, of course, pals. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, get with the time. Get with the time, Gramps. Um, and yeah, they just, they need to know. Just yeah, like I say, the importance of the game, what it'll mean to support, and yeah, just do not leave anything out on the pitch when you're done. And uh, Boyan Miofsky, watch out for the Superman punch coming your way. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's a big one. I hadn't really realized it was as bad as this until I looked at it today. It's been six years, I think, since we last beat them at Pataudry. It feels like it's probably in that ballpark as well. I get about getting a home win. That Madison. Madison, yes. Jesus. Um, I know. It feels like it's been probably about as long as that as well, but beating the other half as well. So a win against one half of the old firm at Pataudry would really go a long way as well, I think, to just helping. Um, lift the spirits, I guess, about believing that we can 
compete with these guys again. It feels like we've been way too passive um, at Pataudry against these teams in recent seasons. So, fingers crossed, it can happen. Predictions for Saturday. It's a shame it's a 12 noon kickoff because it was due to be 3pm. I think the 12 noon are just dampens potentially the potential for a good atmosphere or a properly raucous, you know, atmosphere. Um, but I'm sure that I'm sure we'll try our best. But predictions, sorry, for, for Saturday. 8-0. Love it. <laughs> I think... I, Graham's tapped out already. He's tapped done. Out. I'm done with this. Uh, I'm going to say 1-1 with the referee ensuring that we do not get the three points. It'll be John Beaton, won't it, by the way? It's guaranteed. I don't know who the referee is yet, but he, we've not had him yet this season, and they'll wheel him out. For... <sighs> Bobby Madden will make a guest appearance. <laughs> On VAR. <laughs> Introduced for one day only as a trial. Have been chased out of England. Commons. Yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole of VAR when that gets gets introduced up here. <clears throat> Fucking hell. Um, two one, two one Aberdeen. Yeah, I'm gonna go two one Aberdeen as well. I think we're gonna do it. I don't know. I have a little a double, sticky feeling. A double from Duke. Duke with a double at the Merkland end for absolute scenes. Red a red card after the second goal for because going the second the, for going into the crowd again. Yeah, love it. Let's with Ramirez making his only appearance of the season. <laughs> doing yeah, what? A replacement for Duke. I was going to say doing what, Graham? In the shed, just spotted. Give no, it a big licks. But maybe this will be the day he turns around. Uh, it's not the version of American Pie, I remember. Anyway, there we go. Let's move on. Gav's rubbing his head. It's been a long show. It has been a long show. Do you see Tyson Fury singing it in Cardiff let's, last night? Let's not go down any more tangents. That was pretty cringeworthy, wasn't it? Let's hope that Rangers suffer the same fate as Drew McIntyre did. <laughs> Fingers crossed. That wraps up this section of the ABZ Football Podcast. Join us after the break for part two of our interview with Chris Clark. The ABZ Football Podcast is proudly sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street. Aberdeen. Siberia are celebrating Oktoberfest in style this year in association with the good folks at Fierce Beer and 700 year old Bavarian brewery ABK on the 17th of September. Get your tickets via Skiddle for £20 per person which gets you a two-pint stein of ABK Hellas Lager, a Wurst and a giant pretzel. There are limited tables available for this inaugural event. Lederhosen are actively recommended and lots of fresh beer be provided. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we move on, to part two of an interview with Chris Clark, which is what I give a shout out to all of you who've made your contributions to the ABZFP Beer and Coffee Fund this week. We see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers and coffees, head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. The link is in the description. Throw us a beer or coffee. It is much appreciated. We also, as always, are ramping up our fundraising activities for the season ahead with our commitment to run, cycle, or crawl the 2,261 kilometers that represents the distance between Aberdeen and Gothenburg by the 11th of May 2023. 
funds for this one are going to be donated or split between Aber Necessities and the AFC Heritage Trust. Gav, yes. you, you decided to undertake a fairly special trip this week on Friday with your day off. I did indeed. Took a little trip down memory lane to uh, between Aberdeen and the Angus area. Yeah, reminded myself of some good days out. And some not so good days out. And some not so good days out at Dens Park. Yeah, absolutely. It was. Uh, I think. I think it captured the spirit of what we're trying to do, and I think people online liked it, especially because it involved the dog, which is always a winner. Anyway, there we go. I don't think Gav's updated his spreadsheet for a while. Um, no, no, it's there. I just don't. I think I've. I've. I'm. There are some days where there's nothing to enter, so that's why there's some gaps. Are you not walking about at work? I'm not counting the steps I do when I'm at work. That'll be, that'll be like Bojan Miofsky, like saying I'm going to score goals for Aberdeen for Chatter. All right, well there we go. Um, let's have a look at the updates. Uh, Graham, one thousand six hundred forty-eight to go. Graham's had another good week. Solid. It's been cane then. Lovely stuff. I've got one thousand six hundred sixty-nine to go. I'm lagging behind a little bit. Gav's. Let's just let's just carry on from here. Let's move on. That's all right. Let's move on. No problem. If you want to donate to this one, head over to justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash ABZ football podcast. Uh, the ABZ FP Fantasy Football League's back on the Fantasy Football Scotland app. Um, I can't really be a burgling at that just now. I feel like we've done this way too much. Although Gav's looking gutted by this, which means Gav's had a good week, I think. No, 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 no. Let's, no. I, I was saying the, um, yeah, the, the fourth officials there were over added on time. Okay, fine. Let's skip that just now. We'll come back to that next week. All I'm going to say is I'm the idiot that this week decided to substitute uh, Jackamacus out for Kyogo and for Kyogo to then be subbed after eight minutes. So good going me. There we go. And finally, this is pretty cool, guys. Let's not lie. Uh, last week on the show, we announced that the very first ever live events are pub quiz version 1.0 at Siberia on Thursday, the 13th of October was going to take place. And unbelievably, it's a sellout within a week. What the actual fuck? I can't believe that many people have called their bluff and we have to do this now. I know, I know. Just it's as well we've got our... Really uncool. Just as well we've got our scheduled strategy meeting. What was it again? Was it strategy meeting? What did they call it, Dundee United? Solutions uh, meeting. Solutions <laughs> we have our solutions meeting set for Wednesday evening to decide what the fuck we're actually going to do now. As Graham's right, people have actually called our bluff and we have to do something about this. Um, yeah, stunned, but very appreciative and looking forward to it. But yeah, now we've got to start thinking about some questions. I've got to source a kettle I know. for our who can throw a kettle over a pub tiebreaker. Siberia is quite a big pub if you think about it. If you throw it from the, the, if you throw it from like the Belmont Street vibe, like side, that's going to cause some damage. That's all right. But the other side, well, that's a, that's a, that's a fairly hefty throw you're going to have to give that one. Anyway, let's move on. And now... It's time for part two of our chat with a man who came through the Don's youth ranks, making his first team debut in 2000, going on to make 278 appearances over two spells with the club scoring 12 goals and rather fittingly, given the opponents this week, smashing Alan Hutton into bits once. And we're going to talk about that here. It is Chris Clark. It's a bit of a weird season, that one, because um, we ended up finishing sixth, which... It's probably a little bit underwhelming given the guys who've come in the door and everything. And the, the season starts well. We beat Rangers 3-2 at Pathology with that late goal by Jamie Smith. It gets everyone kind of, I think, thinking this is going to be a, a really good season. 
Uh, but for yourself, I mean, again, you 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 you're really part of the the first team, the, the one of the first names on the team sheet. I think it's thirty six appearances that season. One of the highlights of the campaign was a two one win at Tynecastle, our first win there in since nineteen ninety nine. I guess the heart side at that point, who are going for the title, um, they were top of the table. I think that they. Uh, you grabbed the winner, um, courtesy of a, a pretty big deflection. We'll we'll, we'll say that's what happened there. Slight <laughs> um, <Slide> the <laughs> We touched we touched on it earlier on. Obviously, you've got something about scoring late winners in Edinburgh in front of the away support, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was a, it was a, it was we we played so well that day as well, and um, yeah, it's it's all, it's always nice just cut inside, and I thought it was coming towards the end of the game. I thought I'll give it a go, um, but. I can remember being that one of my best games actually for Aberdeen. So it wasn't just the goal. I just really enjoyed the the battle that match. We'd played really well. Um and you know, a good hearts side as well. Yeah. Um so you know, that was uh that was it was nice to to uh, to see that go in with a with a small deflection. Just a small a slight one, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, to again to, to do it in front of the fans is uh, it's yeah, it's good. Absolutely. And again, following season, you you play an integral role once again, a side that finishes third, eventually securing a return to European football. A total of 40 appearances for you that season, which sees you tie with Jamie Langfield for the most appearances. Uh, I think you only miss one league game, which ends up being the final day of the season against Rangers at Pataudry. Yeah, I was fuming. So again, it was going back to Tynecastle. So I'd started, I'd actually started every match I think it was yeah yeah um, yeah yeah in the league and um so it was at Tynecastle and it was when um I think Barry had equalized Barry Nicholson had equalized yeah. and again in front of Aberdeen fans yeah. so the whole everyone just went crazy and so we're all we've all ran over to the fans and fans have come on to the pitch and we're all just going nuts you know celebrating that as you should but um, fans have got the pitch. So I, was, I remember just jogging back to halfway line. The referee comes running after me and shows me a, a yellow card. But I was already on four yellows okay. uh, for the season. So one more, and that was me suspended for the next match. And I was I can remember saying, don't, no, don't boot me, don't boot me. But he'd, I think he'd boot me for trying to incite a riot or something. <laughs> like, you know, that's, that was his words. It's like, oh, yeah. you the light that it was the linesman who'd flagged saying that we were all celebrating. There was fa- fans had grabbed me on the pitch. You know, oh, all yeah. of us were next fans. So we were there were I remember speaking with uh, the, the Jimmies and uh, we were going to appeal the decision. But if we'd lost that appeal, I would have got a two match ban. Yeah. So I would have missed the next two the, the start of the, the next season. So we just decided to uh, so I, I had to watch the Rangers game, uh, yeah, which was which was a special moment, and I was just you know gutted not to be part of. But uh, the team were amazing that day, and I can remember the atmosphere and uh, in the stadium and uh, throughout the city. Just after that, it was just you know uh, it was it was yeah probably the best season I've experienced. It was unbelievable the atmosphere at Petardry that day. Mm-hmm. Um, Looking at that side that season, would you say that's the best one you played in for Aberdeen? Would you say? And and who would be yeah. who would have been your favourite guys to play alongside at that point? And who were the real characters in the dressing room? Um, we, a lot of us have been together a long time, so you know, we, I think whatever, Lee Miller was always a, 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 a 
you know, up to something. He was a, he was a good guy. And, but we had, a, like I say, we just had such a, a solid, again, I said it before, but we had such a solid squad. And when you had, you know, Barry, Seve, you know, Russell, you know, Michael Hart, uh, Richard Foster in the squad, you know, it was just the Jamie and goals. It was we just had such a and, and Lee Miller, Darren Mackey up front. We had a you know Steve Lovell. It was such a it was such an enjoyable time. And you looked forward to matches. You looked forward to playing. You looked forward to training. It, that's how good it was, you know. Yeah. And we just we just had a a, a good time and we believed in, in what we were doing and. Um, yeah, that, I'll always remember that season. I think, um, but yeah, there's there's always characters in a dressing room. Um, I think I think all of us were just we all got on. I think, and, and that's something. It doesn't matter how well or, or 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 how poor the team are doing in Aberdeen. I think just when you're a there's one team, you know, in the in the in the city, and that's uh, I think generally everyone tends to get on well, um, and it's quite you become close. Um, some closer than others, but yeah. it's always a good. It's a you know, it's a it's known as a family club, and I think that's it will always it'll always remain like that. It's funny because we spoke to Lee about uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and and he said a kind of really similar thing for him because he'd obviously he had quite a difficult time at United, and it hadn't been maybe the happiest of dressing rooms or whatever for him, and he'd kind of come to Aberdeen having kind of turned us down a couple of times already before he gets here and he's maybe expecting it's going to be a bit of a, you know, bit of a tough crowd. Fans and even possibly guys in the dressing room a wee bit to begin with. And he was like, it was brilliant, just straight away settled right in and off he went and running. And he was a huge part of what we ended up doing that season as well. Really complimented the likes of Darren Mackey and then Steve Lovell as well. And the following season as well, it's it's, it's all about that UEFA Cup run. Um, you playing the majority of the of the crucial games starts in both legs against Dnipro, Panathinaikos, Lokomotiv, Moscow, and that historic game in Cope- against Copenhagen. Talk us just through those experiences playing in Europe. I mean, you've done it obviously earlier in your career, but now you've got a little bit more experience. And these are, with all due respect to Nistru Atachi and Hertha Berlin, these are bigger mm-hmm. outfits than these guys are. Talk us through those experiences in particular, I guess, the, the away fixture in Ukraine and the 4-0. Uh, against Copenhagen, yeah, I mean, uh, I, you're right to bring those, you know, align those two games. That's probably the ones that stick in the memory is the Copenhagen and, and the um, yeah, Dnipro away. I remember that was fair, um, at Petodre for the home game against Dnipro, and it was, uh, yeah, uh, you know, for being a, a nil nil, it was it was special because yeah. we should have. What I think we were. We were we, I remember I'd, I'd nearly scored that match and just the, the atmosphere, the ground was full and it really felt like a, a proper European night and it was just, the buzz was was amazing and we went across there confident um, and, you know, we knew we had a lot of fans travelling as well and, and made some interesting journeys to get there. And I know it wasn't easy, um, but for us, to to play the match and obviously got off to a great start with with Darren's goal, but I remember just you know it was backs to the wall in the <laughs> second half and Jay and Jamie made some outstanding saves, um, but a lot of us it was a big pitch and I can remember just you know we're just running chasing the ball and you're working so hard and uh, yeah I can remember just falling on my knees at the final whistle I've never I think that's what uh, you know I was so tired. 
just from just from chasing, hanging on. Yeah. Um, but just that feeling that knowing that you've you've got through to the to the groups was just was just huge. Um, and it was really good. They were up to all the all the uh, tactics. I mean, the, the night before we're we're training, you get obviously train in the stadium, and they they were burning tires uh, outside the the ground. Okay. Right as we started to, to begin training. So it was very difficult, and um, you know the smell. You could, you know, it was hitting the back of the throat. Yeah, and yeah, it was it was the old sort of tactics. And then obviously when we won the match, going to the airport, a lot of Aberdeen fans, and yeah, they were making it difficult for us to get home on a charter flight. It was you know, a bit of a delay, but no one was caring. You know, it was it was just an exciting time ahead, and and looking forward to the to the draw. And uh, obviously the teams that we pull out are just just huge, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't think there wasn't any fear. It was just we were such you know looking forward to it. And again, let's go back to the squad that we had and what we'd what we'd achieved. Um, I think we're confident going into that group, which sounds you know unbelievable. But you know, uh, you're playing Panathinaikos and, and teams like that. It's it's exciting. And the four 0 at home to Copenhagen. I mean, you talked about the atmosphere in the Rangers game at the end of the season before, but. In my time supporting Aberdeen, I've never heard the stadium the way it was that night. Yeah, I know. Again, it goes back. It was very similar to it. Was, it just you know felt the same as the the, the Dnipro first leg, um, and I can't. I, I really. I don't think too much happened in the first half. No, not. Much. I can't remember anything. <laughs> yeah, you can't remember much happening, but it was a tight. It was tight. Yeah, but something just something just clicked, and it was one of those halves in the second half where you know Jamie's just gone on and been you know scored three of the best goals, and it's just it was just unbelievable how it just it all clicked, and we were just we felt we were just playing with a there was almost I can remember then we were playing with an arrogance against Copenhagen, and yeah. we were just knocking the ball around, they couldn't get near us, and we looked like we were going to score. Yeah. Like every every time we went forward, um, and just yeah, it was uh, yeah. I think I, I don't think anyone had hit them. You know, I think they were they were shell shocked. Again, like for younger listeners listening in, I hate having to say it, it makes me sound like old father time or something here. But that's a Copenhagen team who the season before they beat Man United in the Champions League, I think, as I remember. So this is a a really good outfit. Um, is there any point in that second half? You know, when it goes three. Or even because I think even four 0 there's still about ten minutes to go. I think where you can kind of, as a player, just kind of take it all in a little bit and not yeah. be quite so caught up in the franticness of the game now because you know the game is won. Was there a moment where you could kind of just do that? And yeah, I think so. I think I think you can. You know, you you know the games. I think you know the games won it. Maybe three. Yeah. Um, but. I don't think they. I think they had. They realised the game was over, but and you start realising, and the fans are just loving it, and yeah, I think everyone's just you can just sense that excitement of of uh, and, and and what you're achieving, and it's just one of those where everything's clicked, you know, and um, you know it was it, yeah, it's it's that and the Denis Bro sits uh, you know, fondly in the, in the memory. I think for you know because as we touched on earlier on, you're kind of ages with us in a way, like. Our parents' generation, they'll always talk about the Bayern Munich 1983 game as being the greatest mm-hmm. night of pathology type thing. For my generation of fans who who didn't see that, I think the Copenhagen 4-0 is our equivalent. You know, yeah. it was the night yeah, that totally 
it was a night where I was even like, Jesus, Pataudry can sound like this. You know, like when yeah. you go there so often and you're kind of used to the way it can be, it was just an unbelievable, unbelievable night, which continued on well into the night, as, as mm-hmm. I recall as well, because the next day was Mad Friday, I think, at the time. <laughs> oh, I can't, all right, I can't remember that. Yeah. So for a lot of us who, you know, we, we would have to go in for a couple of hours of work minimum, and that was it on the Friday, the, the, <laughs> The party just went all night and then it was straight on to Mad Friday the next day. Unbelievable stuff. And then <laughs> just three day, three days after the Copenhagen game, there's a small matter of a home fixture against Rangers. And this is one that you've got quite the impact in. <laughs> what can you remember about the two incidents between yourself and Alan Hutton that ends up seeing Lee, Mel- Lee McCulloch get sent off for a flying karate kick on Scott Severin? Well, uh, I, I can remember quite a lot because I get sent clips of this on a, a certain day every year, on that day every every year by my, my close friends who are Aberdeen fans. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it was just one of those typical Aberdeen Rangers match, I suppose. Good atmosphere at, at Pataudry, a um, little bit hostile. And I uh, I remember just going down the wing and I'd, I actually got to take take him on and I, I think he'd knocked out and the ball had gone down and it was rolling out for a corner and it was actually over the line and I'm at, I'm at the point I'm, I'm bending over to pick up the ball to go and take the corner and he swipes through me and just takes me off my feet uh quite a quite a shock to last you know you, you're, you're picking up the ball yeah um that's how far the ball was out so um I remember it so not long after that I think I had a dead leg and um, I remember coming back. So I remember Barry Ferguson's actually very clever because he was running with the ball five minutes later and he sees I'm limping a bit and he tries to roll it into Alan Hutton's path and uh, to try and run me because I'm limping. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I didn't, I wouldn't say I had head loss because um, I could, I, I was always good at timing tackles. I think I wasn't, well, not the toughest of tacklers, but I could time tackles. Mm-hmm. I could, you know. But I'll, yeah, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> um, I could have won the ball, to be honest. Um, I just and it wasn't again. It wasn't head loss. I knew. I knew exactly yeah. what I was doing. I just thought, even you know, yeah. I'll get you back and, and give you, a, you know, I'll give you a whack back. Uh, <laughs> I remember it happening a lot. As soon as I don't, yeah, I don't think he'd hit the ground. I thought, oh no. Um, I thought, yeah, I was just waiting for the ref to come over. But I think the ref must have realised he couldn't show me the red yeah. and not show, I've shown Alan Hutton the red before. So I'm walking away. <laughs> I always remember laughing because Seve was trying to well, sort of defend me and as Lee McCullough's running over to get me and uh, jumps and knees Seve in the ribs or something <laughs> and Seve gets and Lee McCullough. I actually didn't know what was going on because there's players there and then, uh, yeah, Lee McCullough's showing the red card. Um yeah, it was just it was just frustration. I was just yeah. I thought no, I'll just get you back. That was all. Um, deserved it. I, no, they hundred percent. I remember it to this day. I think it. <laughs> I, th- I think it, it. It got met with about a roar akin to if we'd scored a goal at that point when it happened. It's just one of those moments, and it was right in front of the Rangers support as well, wasn't it? It was right in the corner of the the big yeah. stand. So yeah. of all so, the spots yeah, no, to do it, in, it was the it, it was the prime spot. It's fair to say. Yeah, no, I was saying it was them. Um, they just they just tried to you know they tried to run me after that, and I just wasn't having it. I thought, no, no I'll get you back. So that was 
Yeah, I, I, like I said, it could have been put down to head loss, but no, I knew what I was doing, to be honest. But. Wait, right. And hey, like you say, I mean, <laughs> it's it's um, the incident is still viewed to this day with a sense of endearment, it's fair to say, by... Yeah. Uh, yep. yeah. Thread finally even did a, a two-page spread on it. Do you know that? Did it? No. A, a full-blown two-page blow by blow account of the whole thing it's i'll find it i'll send it to you yeah okay well worth a read yeah listen it's not i suppose it's not you know obviously after we know what's happened in the past yeah um and it it was never anything like that but um it was just all it was was getting even um and it was just it's a chance to give my whack back and you know Um, what that's exactly the type of thing that Aberdeen fans are more than happy to see is somebody standing up for themselves more than anything else. It's not about... But, yeah, I mean, that's all I was wanting to do. I was just raging that I would kind of got away with with uh, what had happened before it. So it was an opportunity to get one back. Um, and, and, yeah, why not? Absolutely. This ends up being one of your final appearances for the club in your first spell. Um, the move to Plymouth Argyle comes around, I think it's 18th, uh, 16th of January, 2008. How did that move... Come about was it just time for you? You thought to to do something a bit different, try your try your hand down south. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I remember my contract was obviously uh, running out in the in the, the following summer, and um, we were at, we we're just at the point of negotiating um, a new contract, and it, it wasn't like something that had dragged on. It was it actually happened quite quickly, and I knew because at that time. The team were doing so well and we were on the European run and we were performing. There was a lot of teams watching players throughout the squad. Yeah. It wasn't just myself, but I knew I knew at the same time Ipswich were watching me. They'd been watching a number of times. And there was other players being noticed. And I think we're all getting linked, you know, when that's what happens when the team's doing so well. So I I was a little bit frustrated with the I, I just at the age I was at, I was wanting to sign a new contract. I wanted to sign. I didn't. I didn't want to leave. Yeah. And um, as you sort of mentioned the the stats in terms of playing and the amount of games played throughout the season, I was playing every week. Yeah. And um, loving it. And uh, I, I just there was because we brought in players and they've obviously used a, a large budget. There was players on, and there was different, and it comes down now. Players on more money, that happens, you know. And yeah. you start to get to an age where, no, I, I think we deserve to be earning similar, or you know. So it just came down, and it, it actually, I wouldn't say it broke down really quickly, but you know, I didn't really. I wouldn't say it broke down, but it just they weren't really coming back with what it was. And it, I, I, I saying it wasn't excessive demands or nothing like that at all. You know, I'd, I'd grown up playing for the club. I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to be there. And um, it just, it just didn't work out. But straight away, Plymouth Argyle had put a, a bid in because they knew my contract was running out. I only had three months left of my, or three, four months left of my contract. So Plymouth saw it as an opportunity to just put a bid in and Aberdeen accepted it. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of, it happened actually quite quickly, and um, it was it was a tough time because I remember I think it came out that myself, Barry Nicholson, and Michael Hart had all turned down contracts, and it was released on the same day. Yeah, and yeah, that didn't, I remember it not going down well because I think there was such a good atmosphere and yeah. the team were doing so well. And, 
and it was a good like I said before it was a good squad and then to be the fans to see that three of the players are leaving at the same time and then you had yeah, it was me Barry and, and Michael and then Seve was getting linked with teams down south and so I think it was maybe just a realisation that the team was beginning to to, to split up and, yeah. and Russell had had gone Russell already. Had previous left yeah. so Russell had gone so it, it like I say it broke down quite quick and and uh as soon as Plymouth offered, I think they realized. I think the club realized once I went when, you know, to accept the offer they were they're offering at the time, they would just accept the offer from from Plymouth. Yeah. So, and I, but I can remember at the same time that I just there just needed to be a little a change. I think I think there was I can remember there was a season. I don't know if it was anybody, but we played Livingston seven times, once, and I just and you know and. I can remember, I think it was round about December time, and we'd played in a match at Motherwell, and we'd, I think we'd lost 2-0. It was just a terrible match, and hadn't played well. I just remember sitting in the dressing room after, and I think I was sitting with Barry, and we just, we just didn't know what to say. It kind of just felt really low, yeah, which was strange because we'd been doing so well. And I just, I just thought at that time, need, I need a change. Um... As much as I wanted to stay, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I wanted yeah. to be there, but it was just a moment. It was just, it was just a moment where I think, oh, a change might be nice. And then, yeah, Plymouth, Plymouth made the move. And yeah, you spend three and a bit years with Plymouth. Uh, a debut in the FA Cup, a scoring debut in the FA Cup against uh, Portsmouth, who were Premier League at the time. And then again, you become a first team regular with the Pilgrims, playing 116 times before end up being released at the end of the 2010-2011 season alongside the likes of Rory Fallon and Carrie Arneson, and we'll talk about them in a minute again, as Plymouth's cash woes deepen. Craig Brown and Archie Knox have been brought in at Aberdeen the previous December when things are not going well here. Um, they steady the ship. You end up re-signing for the club on the 28th of June 2011, just before Rory and Carrie also sign up. First of all, did you need much persuasion to return to Aberdeen and then secondly were you asked by Rory and Carrie for your kind of thoughts before they decided to sign up yeah well got to be honest you know we left Plymouth Plymouth were in a position because of the administration that we were in at the time they weren't in a position to offer anyone contracts so I think about 16 players left so it was just a complete clear out Um, their situation was I wasn't sure their financial situation wasn't good, obviously. Um, so I, I just and and because we'd gone so long and been in a, you know, been eight months without getting paid, and you became a little bit homesick. Got to be honest. Yeah. Kind of just wanted to get and had a young family and kind of wanted to get back back up um, to Scotland. But at that time, I didn't have a club, and I ended up getting. Um, asked by Kilmarnock to go in and train there with Jimmy Nickel yeah. and Kenny Shields. Well, Kenny Shields was the manager, so that was that was the only only thing I had at the time. I, I nearly went across to France. I was due to be on a way a flight to France for was um, Boulogne okay. to trial with them. They were keen on taking a lot of British players across, but then I was you know I'd gone down and spend a bit of time at Kilmarnock and I'd spent quite a few days down there and. Uh, Aberdeen had got wind of it and Craig Brown uh, called me up um, and, and asked me to to come in. Um, and I, I remember at the time it was quite strange because 
my agent called me and said that they actually wanted me to come in on trial. And uh, you know, there was nothing, there was nothing big time or anything about it, but I was just like refused because there was still enough people there, yeah, Jim Layton that knew me and you know, and then and players and and I was training at Kilmarnock and I'd been playing for Plymouth all the time, so it wasn't like I was, you know, I, and I just found it really strange. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd, Kilmarnock had offered me a, a contract. So then Aberdeen had, you know, when, to be honest, when Craig Brown had called me up and says, come in, he can't really turn down, you know, uh, Craig Brown, an ex-international manager, and yeah. Craig and Archie. And I knew about, obviously, the players and starting to, re- like you say, they, they'd steadied the ship and they were looking at bringing in players. So it was a it was a new time for Aberdeen. And when you've been uh, down 600 miles away, and you've got a young family. I think it's you want to get back home, Aye. and it was it was I was delighted <laughs> to be honest, just to just to get back up and and, and be here. Um, and there was new people, new faces, but it was you know still still a, still the same club, and it was it was nice to be back. Were Rory and Carrie picking your brains as well for whether they should come to Aberdeen? Well, to be honest, uh, I we were on pre-season with Craig and Archie, and. Uh, Arne had spoken to Arnie and um it was usual Arnie was in between clubs. You know, he's had more clubs than you know Sandy Lyle. And uh Arnie was asking me, I think he was training at Hearts. Ah, he was at Hearts, yeah. Then, but he was so I says, right, so but he was he was just training and he, he, I remember him not enjoying it. And uh, he was speaking to me now. We were in Germany on preseason and I um I went and spoke to Craig and Archie and says, there's someone that you should maybe take a look at. And we're like, okay. And I says, look, and I remember us needing a bit of presence in terms of the centre half position at the time. I think I knew that he could play as well. And yeah, so that was, I'm still waiting on a fee for that. Nothing's happening. I'm not going to get it from Arnie, I know that. So um, no chance. No, no, no chance. Um, so, but yeah, that was it. And then, yeah, I can't. I don't know. I don't actually know how the Rory, Rory's, uh, you know, transfer came about. I hadn't spoken to him. Okay. It just, I just heard of it, and he was signing. I think Arnie had spoken to Rory more, and says, "Look, they're looking at Rory again." There was a presence about Rory, um, a big boy. He'd played in, played in England for a long time. So, yeah, I think, it was, I think at that time, you know, why not? Something Aberdeen needed. How did you find working under Craig and Archie? I. I think I was just, I was so happy to be back in Aberdeen. So it was, I, I enjoyed it and it was, it was very straightforward. It was very direct. <laughs> Scared of Archie as everyone was, I think, um, you know, the way, and, but you, ha- you just had huge respect um, for both of them. Um, and, you know, whatever they wanted you to do, you just, that's, that's what you did. That's what you did. Um, it was, it was an interesting time. Like I said, there was a there was a big sort of. I can remember there was a lot of players that I didn't I didn't know. Yeah, you know I'd never you know I'd, I'd heard of you know Fraser Five. He was just coming through, and so, there was so much talk about him and Ryan Jack. It was good players, um, but then we were bringing in like Sir Isaac Osborne and people like that. So there was always, you know, there was quite a big change, and I was part of that change again, probably coming back in. Yeah. So they were trying to they were trying to build a new side, I suppose, um, their own side. Which is what ultimately what really ends up happening. You kind of touched on it. They kind of go through a bit of churn in terms of guys coming in and coming out and a few young lads come through and get developed a wee bit. And 
ultimately what Craig and Archie do, it's not spectacular in the sense of what ends up happening league position wise or anything like that. But I think anybody that knows football will recognize that it sets in stone such a bedrock for what happened when Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty came into the club. You know, they didn't have a club that had to be rebuilt from the ground up all of a sudden. There was a solid base there that they could they could yeah. move from. I mean, your first season back again, you're you're like it's, it's almost like you've not been away. Straight back into the, the first team again, 30 appearances. We finish in ninth place. Uh, disappointing semi-final defeat to Hibs in the Scottish Cup rounds that off. Um, and then again, you're in and around the start and line up for the most of the following season before an injury picked up in a 3-2 home defeat to Inverness. Sees you miss out for the rest of the campaign. What what happened with that one? It's the first it's a, it's the first time I'd ever I was actually really enjoying the football at that time. Um I was playing in centre midfield with a lot of time with Isaac and developing a little bit of a relationship with him. And um you know, um I just remember just being at home and I'd never um I had injuries throughout my career, as every player has, yeah. hamstrings, you know, knee slight knee injuries. But it was a I actually broke my ankle. And I'd never broken anything. You know, he got to what was a 31, 32. Mm-hmm. And that's the first break I'd ever had. But I didn't realise I'd broken it. So I'd, I'd gone to close the ball down the middle pitch. Went in, in for a tackle with someone. I went, the ball broke out wide left. I went to chase them back. Then I went over my ankle as I chased that player back again. And I, I just, I'd, I'd never injured my ankle. So I just thought, oh, that's a sore ankle. So I was, till, I was trying to run about. And then I just I had to go down. So went to hospital at halftime. X-ray. Nothing, nothing shows up. So we were just treating it as a sore ankle. And I remember doing rehab with the physio a couple of days. I'm, I'm thinking, I hated being in, I hated being injured. So I just wanted to get back. I was probably trying to get back too quick. Mm-hmm. And I remember jogging with the physio and then we had a ball and I just kept trying to turn and something. I just kept getting this sharp pain. And the physio, you know, John Sharp at the time just you know, said something's not right. So again, I went for a CT scan and it showed that I was cracked. And uh, my ligament had come out from underneath my hat. So it ended up really more complicated than it should have been. And yeah, that was me. I had to get I had to get that pinned and um yeah, it ended up quite complicated. Yeah. Um and that and that knocked me that was me out until until Derek McInnes and, and uh, yeah, that was it. The changes changes were made. That's it. And when they come in, had they kind of given you an indication that you were in their thoughts for, for what they were trying to do? Well, when they came in, um, no, I was just, you know, they came in. The the weird thing is, was I can remember being in the gym doing my rehab with uh, with Andy, and it was a time where I think Craig and Archie were. It was, you know, that was it was coming to the time when they were the changes were getting made, and the usual managers' names are getting banded about. And I can remember me and Andy just sitting in the gym, we were just talking, and I think he was doing rehab, and I, I says, "Oh, I think we need like." good to see Derek McInnes come in you know and that was I sort of wanted that just the way you know everyone the way people have been talking about them mm-hmm. the good things that they were doing with, with St Johnston and you know obviously the way they went about things so and then they came in and I was sort of really excited so that pushed my rehab on and then uh, that was me I was out till the end of the season anyway yeah. but I was sort of starting afresh with, with, um, with them when we went to Ireland that was me starting off and I was absolutely loving it. Uh, it was tough, but they, they just changed the atmosphere around the whole club. Mm-hmm. And it was from the from you know 
right throughout. It wasn't just the team that were trying to develop, the, you know, just bringing everyone together. It's just a freshness. Um, and then we're on pre-season in Ireland and I was playing well. I was enjoying it. Going through, feeling fit, really strong. And I was just running with the ball in a, in a, a match, in a, a friendly match, and something just went behind my knee. And a bit of bone broke away from behind my knee. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I just crumbled to the ground and I thought I panicked because I thought it was my cruciate had gone. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what happened. And then, uh, yeah, that was, you know, that was me. Uh, it ended up quite quite a serious injury and it ended up being another operation. Uh, and then it, yeah, it was it was very frustrating um, because they, they said that I'd been, they'd been pleased with the way I was working and, um, and you, you, you're not part of something new, which was, was hard to, hard to take when you've been, you know, performing well. Yeah, and you've kind of touched on, you know, throughout your career, you'd maybe have had, I'm going to call them standard injuries, you know, hammies, whatever, tweaks. Yeah. But you'd been relatively fortunate in not having any real serious, serious injuries. To have two happen as close together as they did like that, that just must have been just like, I was going to say frustrating, but frustrating is probably not even the word, is it, I guess? No, I was, uh, no, because I was very emotional when my knee went in Ireland. Because I think I just, it was, you know, it was just my age. And then I thought, how's the manager going to view this? Mm-hmm. Is he injury prone? Which I, you know, again, that's the first break I'd had, but it was almost like one after the other. Yeah. And I just, and when they'd scan my knee, it says, like, it's it's wear and tear. It's probably, you could scan everyone at that age and a footballer and their knee was, will look very similar. But it was just something that happened. So then it takes, it's harder to recover at that age. And I managed to get back fit yeah. again. And unfortunately, it was the team were doing very well. So it was hard to catch up and just get and get back in. But mentally, it was very hard. Yeah. I, yeah, I struggled, kind of really struggled um, because you just want to be part of it, you know. Um, and, and, and being injured is the worst for any footballer, um, you know. So difficult. And come 30th of January 2014, it was announced at that point that um, the club and yourself had come to an agreement to to, to terminate your contract. The ticket that was just a mutual call between yourself and, and Derek to allow you to get out and to play some football somewhere. Yeah, and it's the first time I'd ever had that conversation with a manager. I'd never been told that I wasn't going to play by a manager mm-hmm. from the age of 16, from turning full-time. So you've gone... 16 years full-time football and you've heard about conversations that have gone on between players and manager you know that player's on his way out and he's not going to play um you know how those conversations have gone sometimes and you hear it from and to hear those words yeah wasn't wasn't nice because I kind of you know I felt I tried to push myself and got myself fit again but yeah you're not going to be part of the team but I just I was just struggling to catch up that was all and they were good. It wasn't. There wasn't any hostility. It was nothing. It wasn't bad. But you know, uh, yeah, I've got to be honest. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't take it well. I was, you know, very emotional because I think I realised that was me. Well, it was me. Uh, finished with Aberdeen a long, a long period, and uh, yeah, it was hard to take. <laughs> so yeah, nah, it's, it's understandable. Yeah, when that's your club, you know, and. Uh, yeah, it was, and especially that's what I mean. That's why I referred to, you know, you, 
me and Andy are sitting in the gym and that's the manager you want to come in and then he ends up the one that tells you you're not going to play again so it was it was hard to take but um yeah it was it was and obviously that season well the same season they go on you've been at a club for so long and they go in and lift the trophy uh which you know two months after you leave so it was it was very hard yeah no I can imagine um it was enjoyable it was Delighted to see, you know, no, I was at the match, you know, and they're supporting yeah. Aberdeen. But uh, when you've played football for so long and you've been at the club and then they win the, the yeah. trophy two months later, it's, it was it was difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you end up making the move to Cove Rangers where you end up seeing out your playing career. Um, you leave Aberdeen, though, all in a total of 278 appearances, 12 goals to your name. Puts you within the top 50 of the all-time Aberdeen appearance holders. Looking back on your time with the club, what would you say, Chris, is your favourite moment in that famous red shirt? There's, there's probably uh, we've spoken about them, but it's it's hard to. It was the just making your debut and yeah. and making a positive impact straight away. It was my first goal against Hibs, and it, and it's those European matches. I think that the, the we spoke about the Dnipro and the and the Copenhagen. I think you put all those together. Uh, they sort of they sort of aligned, you know, um, very special moments and, and and something you're often talking about. Um, but just yeah, it's making it's even going back to signing a schoolboy form and realizing you've just signed for Aberdeen. That was when there was such a small group and it was very selective. That was a special moment, and 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 then getting told that you're going to go full time and, and be professional. Um, so that doesn't directly answer your question, but you know, it's it all. I wouldn't say there's one defining moment, but there's there's things that you, you just remember so clearly. Well, but you know what? You're a Northeast loon who supports Aberdeen, who's lived the dream. We'll let you away with not having just one. You can pick a few. It's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you're wanting to say Alan Hutton, weren't you? Uh, <laughs> nah, we wouldn't do that to you. We wouldn't do that to you. Listen, yeah, yeah. Chris. We'll finish things up here. We've taken up way too much of your time already. But we'll finish with asking the same question that we ask every single one of our guests on the show. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? It's it's well, it's been my boyhood club that I've supported from from primary school, and even now I'm, I'm I've always been proud to say that I've played for Aberdeen. Um, you know, when people asked you when whenever you were, oh, who who have you who did you play for, and I always. <laughs> not, in a, not a, an arrogant or, or, or sort of flash way but just proud to say he played for Aberdeen because it always got a nice response people got you know, they seem to be impressed and I've got family and friends who are all Aberdeen fans and you know that's you've got to sort of represent the club it's such a such a huge club that's that's, that's had so so many special moments throughout Scottish football and um yeah, I'm, I'll always remain sort of grateful to everyone at the club for providing me with a career. Um, you know that'll that'll always cherish. Top man, Chris Clark. Thank you for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Stand free. Stand free. Thanks for having me. And so that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and please remember to like, subscribe, or follow, or whatever you want to do on your podcast. Player of choice, join us next week for episode 61. We're nearing retirement, boys. Nearing retirement. Yeah, I mean, at this point, we've, we've, we're have we entitled to our bus pass, aren't we? 
I think that's exactly what they're well, Graham gets his free bus travel to the game as anyway at the moment. Uh, so does Gavin. Join us next week for episode 61, where we'll be joined by the one and only Aberdeen Manny to review our fixture with Sevco 5088 Limited. And we'll preview our visit to the capital to face Hibs in the final game before the first international break of this season. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!